And good evening, everyone, or good morning, or good afternoon, whatever the case may be. Where you are on this rotating globe, welcome to another edition of The Other Side of Midnight, that magical time between dusk and dawn, when we try to cover the things that normally don't get covered in the 24-7 news cycle of mainstream and alternative and Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all that other news out there. I mean, it's a wonder that anybody can focus on anything because we are literally drowning from an overload of too much stuff. So kick back and for the next three hours, you're going to hear something that you should be seeing on the mainstream news. And you're not going to see it for a while because we're we're kind of building up to this point. There is a crescendo coming. There is a climax. There is an, a stunning set of revelations. And part of what I think is delaying the inevitable is that those folks in charge of kind of our reality haven't yet quite figured out how to tell us that an awful lot of what we think we know and have been encouraged to think we know is plain dead wrong. Starting with how old is humanity? How, how long have we been not just on this earth, but other earths, other planets, other places? Have we solely been nurtured in this nursery through the you know random winds of evolution, which is the standard mainstream uh, theory? Or is our story, our soap opera, our incredible history, so much more fantabulous and so much longer than anyone has dared to dream for many, many, many years? And when they do, they are viciously, and I use that term very easily, viciously stamped out like that old joke about uh, burning ducks. Well, tonight we're going to talk about and talk with a researcher who is definitely thinking outside the box and who has independently discovered some of the fundamental things about who we are and how old we are, which is in total resonance with my uh, dear departed friend, Carl Monk, who I had wanted to get on the show, and he made it very difficult because he didn't engage in email or social media. He relied on mail, literally, you know, Hard copy, mail, envelopes, stamps. Remember stamps? Anyway, uh, Charlie is no longer with us. And uh, when I last checked, his daughter was trying to come up the curve of all his research, which fortunately has been preserved. Well, as you all know, I'm a great believer in independent discovery, independent research, separate entities coming together on a particular project, and they come up with the same answers the same solutions. Well, tonight, you're going to hear from my guest, Charlie Zeese, that he has independently confirmed a number of things that many decades ago, um, Carl Monk pioneered. And it will lead to other things that Charlie will discover when we get to that part of the show. And I kind of uh, lay on him some of the really interesting global phenomenology of what, what Carl had found. Before we get there, however, and I know we have new members of the audience, I want to kind of give you a brief few-second tutorial on how to find a critical part of The Other Side of Midnight, which is the section of the show we call Radio with Pictures. 
What you want to do is you want to go to our URL, theothersideofmidnight.com. You want to click on tonight's banner, which says, Found More Hyperdimensional Secrets Carefully Encoded in Earth's Most Ancient Ruins, with our guest there prominently displayed, Charlie Zeiss. And if you click on that banner, that will take you to Charlie's guest page, right under the duplicate of the banner on the guest page, which is at the top. You will find uh, uh, a big line which says to listen to the show. Don't worry about that. That's in case you want to listen to the show. Under that, it says guest page. And under that, it says fast links to items with my name, Charlie's. And Charlie has two pages tonight in Radio with Pictures. So when we get to the transition, we'll tell everybody, okay, move to page two. Anyway, click on my items. Click on Richard there, and it will take you directly to um, the the uh, items in my section. Some news and some forecasting. So uh, before we get to Charlie, let me give you some background. As you know, um, a few days ago, on, on Monday, actually, technically, it was anticipated, previewed uh, in a surprise uh, revelation on Monday at the White House. The Webb Space Telescope, after six months of commissioning, after launch successfully on uh, December 25th last year, Christmas Day, early, early, early Christmas morning, it is now on station. Every instrument has been tuned. The mirrors and all the other um, mechanical appurtenances are working, and it is in fabulous shape to give us the beginnings of a stunning amount of literally unprecedented data on who the hell we are, what we're doing in this place, and what might be coming up in the future. So item number one is the James Webb Space Telescope link, which takes you directly to the pictures, the first five full-color infrared images from Webb, which basically range the category of all the things, well, most of the things that they're going to be looking at over the next, uh, I've heard estimates now up to 20 years. Um, long before then, of course, this telescope will have been superseded by multiple new generations, which will make this telescope look kind of quaint in that future time. But for now, it is the largest space telescope ever sent into orbit. It is living tonight in a halo orbit about a million miles behind the Earth, away from the sun. We have direct line of sight. Um, some of the images which took weeks and months for Hubble to achieve with long, long, long exposures that had to be interrupted because remember, Hubble is in a low Earth orbit whipping around the Earth roughly every 90 minutes. So if you're looking at something in space and taking a time exposure, you can only do it when the object is above the horizon from where you are in orbit. And since it takes 90 minutes for Webb to go, Webb, for Hubble, see, I keep doing that near reverse. It's really weird. Something wrong with my brain. Okay. Anyway, it takes Hubble 90 minutes to go around in low Earth orbit. So if you're taking a deep exposure of deep, 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 deep space, looking for galaxies back toward the beginning of the Big Bang, you can only do it for about 40 minutes then you got to wait because it takes that long, 40, 45 minutes to come around again so that the object that you're photographing is above the Earth's horizon and you begin another exposure. 
and you stack these exposures in the computer one over the other over the other over the other and ultimately it took them hundreds of hours to do the ultra deep field web the other afternoon no i think it was morning they said it was before breakfast 12 hours and they had a deep field image deeper than the deepest field from hubble 12 hours as opposed to weeks so a lot of the really amazing stuff that we're going to talk about tomorrow night and i will explain in detail in a little while how tomorrow night is different than i had kind of planned it um is going to be kind of looking at web from an historical perspective have we been here have we done this before as a culture as americans and the fact is yes with stunning results but they were kicked off in a little different manner than web and we're going to talk about that and then we're going to go through these images and i'm going to have the time three hours tomorrow night to show you with the images all of the stunning, amazing new stuff which is going to come pouring out of the Webb Space Telescope at a rate which is like, as uh, the cliche goes, drinking from a fire hose. 12 hours for a deep field image of galaxies over 4.8 billion uh, light years away. And actually the, the deepest that... Uh, that Webb can go is like 13.6, something like that, in the universe that's supposedly 13.8 billion years old. Anyway, um, that's all for tomorrow night. And I have to warn you that it's not going to be exactly as I planned. When I saw the quality of the images, in particular, when I saw the quality of the uh, spectroscopic data from one of the so-called exoplanets orbiting a star a little over 1,100 light years away called WASP-96b. I can love where they get these names. Anyway, I thought, ah, I know who to call. So I called uh, our friend Dr. Chandra Wickramasinghe in Britain, who is an old friend of Arthur C. Clarke, my old friend, and as well as having worked with probably one of the preeminent astronomers of the 20th century, Sir Fred Hoyle. And I said to Chandra, what would you like to say if we do a web show? So we started mapping it out and all that. And then a day or two later, he called me on Skype and he said, um, I really can't do it because I'm recovering from COVID and I have no strength. So I thought at that point, well, we can do one or two things. I can go to a rerun. We have tons of extraordinary shows. I even had one of mine that you'll love to hear again. And, at some point, we'll just play it again because, you know, you miss things the first time. And, you know, for people that can't afford to join Club 19.5, which is a lot of people now because of the economy, um, sometimes it's just nice to run a show where they can just listen live and not have to pay anything. I mean, we, we try to think of all our listeners. And then I thought, no, that we've had too many because of technical issues and the damn smoke from the forest fires here in New Mexico and you know, not being able to talk and breathe at the same time and all that nonsense. So I thought, okay, maybe this is an opportunity to do something we haven't really done since I uh, created the show. And that is do three hours of Hoagland in one. 
So tomorrow night is going to be a very interesting, and I'm going to reveal some things that got me into NASA under contract because, in fact, I was tagged to be, paid to be, the official NASA historian of space astronomy for a while. And that gives me a rather unique advantage to look at the web experience in the context of the much larger NASA experience in lofting telescopes into space, as well as the much longer American experience of building the biggest, most amazing uh, time machines, i.e. telescopes, on the planet for most of the 20th century. And all that's going to be involved with a lot of images, a lot of historical images, some very interesting things that I know you do not know about, having to do with America and big telescopes and what they do to the culture and the paradigm and the concept of being an American. And with great pride, we can say that the James Webb Space Telescope is part of that extraordinary heritage, which I bet most of you do not know. And if you don't know it, it is to your detriment. So tomorrow night for three hours, we're going to have fun regaling you with some background stories, some perspective, and a forecast of where we are going. And in a week or two, depending upon his recovery rate, um, I'm going to get Chandra back and we're going to do what I originally wanted to do because one of the unique things about web is that it basically has a non-discriminatory um, usage policy, meaning you don't have to be associated with a major university or with a uh, foundation or with a nonprofit or a member of the very limited or restricted academic astronomical community to actually put in a proposal to get actual time on the web telescope to look at anything you want can't look toward the sun of course and take data and have it part of a public record of research that is being sponsored by citizen scientists now dr wickramasinghe is not a citizen scientist he is an accredited professional with decades of experience and all kinds of published papers and peer-reviewed journals and you know all that good stuff of being a member of the club so one of the things we're going to do is we're going to propose with Chandra a public citizen, private, academic science project for web as part of round two. Uh, round one will take about a year. And they're now in a few weeks time, they're going to open, you know, the phone lines, the website, whatever, to file proposals for the second round next year of supreme cutting-edge science from Webb, and Dr. Chandra Wickramasinghe is going to propose testing some of the very things he's been talking about ever since he came on the show and obviously long before, that the mainstream astronomical community just kind of hasn't gotten around to testing. Remember, all science comes down to can you test it, not how wacky and far out and crazy the idea is, it only is supposed to, in the, in the extreme, in the theoretically pure area of, of research, it's supposed to only turn on 
is it a good idea and can it be tested? And of course, if it's tested and proven true, what's it going to do to the human condition? Is it going to advance who we are, what we are, and why we're here, and what we're trying to accomplish? Anyway, that will be part of our discussion with Chandra. Tomorrow night, we're going to have some fun, and I'm going to open the lines in the third hour. And we have some of our regulars who have some things they want to say about web. Um, And then we're going to actually invite callers, as we have for the last several weeks, to just chime in with their favorite things they like to see happen, because in this new political era, it can happen. And if it doesn't happen, we have a microphone, a bullhorn, as the cliche goes, and we can point fingers directly at why NASA is not living up to what it said it was going to do, which is to include, as part of this roster, a publicly supported, taxpayer-paid-for, $10 billion telescope. Some of the time is going to be devoted to some of those taxpayers who contributed toward the $10 billion. Anyway, enough of that. Um, Tomorrow night, you're going to want to tune in because this is a first for me, and I don't know whether it can be done on radio. It normally takes me or took me about a month to put together presentations when I was doing conferences and and uh, you know going around the country and uh, you know speaking to various groups. Um, when Chandra said he really wasn't up to it, I had like two days to put together something, and we're still putting it together. So uh, um, tune in tomorrow night to see if we succeed or fail. <clears throat> I know that sounds crass, but uh, some people like to, you know, root for train wrecks. So if, whatever, you know, whatever gets you through the night, as uh, someone said many, many, many years ago. So item number two, while all this is going on a million miles behind the Earth, as seen from the sun, there is this unmanned mission, this little capstone mission, which is making its way in a very elongated uh, almost million mile extended orbit before it loops back to rendezvous and be inserted into orbit around the moon. This private mission, which NASA paid like uh, 30 mil for, to basically check out the orbit, the very unique, is that kind of a contradiction in terms? I mean, something is either unique or it's not. It can't be very unique. And oh, don't get me started on language that every mainstream anchor and political pundit and and uh, reporter and whatever is using. And they're using the word so wrongly. And every time they do it, I cringe. I literally cringe. The word is fulsome. Fulsome does not mean complete. It means it's fake. It means it's empty. It means it's puffery. Fulsome praise means the person is not praising the individual. They are basically denigrating him with puffery and nonsense and exaggeration so the, all the mainstream reporters and anchors and print people are using fulsome totally, 180 degrees wrong. So <clears throat> there, I got that off my chest. It won't do any good, but maybe, maybe someone will listen somewhere. It really bothers me that we have such literate people out there and they don't understand that a word has been totally corrupted along with a whole bunch of other things. So do not use fulsome to mean complete or thorough, or a deep dive, or anything approaching real, because fulsome means fake, fake praise. Fulsome praise is fake praise. Like, uh, well, we don't go there. Some people get so upset when I go to certain places, and 
I'm trying to be sensitive these days, more more sensitive than uh, I have been, and I apologize for not being sensitive sometimes. But uh, anyway, um, so Capstone is successfully headed to the moon. When we get a little bit closer, I'm going to be talking about some of the things that it can do because it is preparing the way for this unique orbit of the uh, Gateway Lunar Space Station, which is to be inserted into this rectilinear halo orbit, orbiting backwards around the moon in a very elongated ellipse that will allow it to avoid uh, detrimental and, in fact, fatal hours-long eclipses of the Earth. And when we get closer and they're about to put it into orbit, we will talk more details, which, of course, is the only way that the Artemis program, which is depending critically on returning to the moon using the Ar- the uh, Gateway Space Station in lunar orbit, can actually proceed. The first couple of missions um, are going to not have to use Gateway, but if we are going to be successfully sending astronauts to and from the moon in coming years and building a lunar base near the South Pole, where a lot of the water is, um, this this capstone mission has got to succeed. And as you know, there was a hiccup. Initially, they lost track of it for over a day, and then they uh, they had a software glitch. So they have told us they repaired it, moving away from the Earth and completed its second uh, mid-course trajectory m- correction maneuver successfully a couple of days ago. There'll be another one toward the end of the month, and then they will nudge it into this extraordinary orbit of the moon. And at that point, um, well, we will talk about the details when we when we get there. You know, my my old cliche, make no wine before it's time. Stolen directly from Gallo. Um, I'm going to skip around. Uh, let's skip number three for a moment. Let's go to number four, okay? Last night as I'm preparing for tonight's show, a news story suddenly broke, uh, and we're all plugged into media, so I saw it almost immediately. And the headline says of the story, because it's, it's linked there in number four, NASA spots bizarre tangled object on Mars and offers no explanation. This is relevant to tonight's show, as you're going to see in a moment. All right, There's a picture taken directly from NASA. Number five, under it, what I did and Ron Gerbron did is we went to the Raw Images website. We combed the site for all the images of what looks like a little kind of tangle of twine, like something that you would you know, wrap onions in, in a burlap sack. Um, Where does something looking like twine come from on Mars? Well, the first thing is that NASA, unlike with the uh, little uh, aluminum shaded uh, cubic thingy that was located not very far away a couple of weeks ago, the so-called shiny object, which Ron found some stunning uh, images of and made the right mosaic that uh, NASA apparently had not wanted to have a see in terms of context. When that was unveiled, the NASA explanation was, oh, it's a part of the thermal blanket from the entry, descent, and landing of Perseverance uh, over a year ago last February. Eh, okay, that's potentially possible. And now we have something else, which is just within a few tens of feet of that other object, And it's lying there on the ground, and uh, NASA has not offered any explanation so far. But that is really not the story. 
the real story is that when Ron and I went looking through the archives for the Saul 495 and 496 and 497 and 498, uh, we found images on 495. In fact, we found four of them, uh, two Hascams and two Navcams. Those are separate cameras on the rover. So you got four images taken at different times by different cameras. That's called independent confirmation. So this thing is really there. And then we went and looked through 450, 496, 497. And on 498, the uh, Hascams took another uh, set of pictures of the area on the ground right beneath the rover because these Hascams are mounted on the rover. They can't be swiveled or turned unless you literally physically turn the rover. And the rover just sat in one place for several days. And the reason we know that is because the second set of images are identical to the first set. In fact, they're so identical that uh, Keith said to me tonight, he said, are, are those different images? It looks like someone just took it out. Because when you compare them side by side, which I did in item number five, the remarkably weird tangled twine object in the image on 495 has disappeared in image taken on Sol 498. Remember, Sol is a Martian day, which is about 39 minutes longer than an Earth day. And 39 is twice 19.5. Anyway, um, where did it go? I mean, literally just three Martian days and it's there and it's not there. Well, obviously, the wind blew it away. The wind on Mars. The wind on a planet where the atmospheric density is supposed to be at, at the surface equivalent to 100,000 feet above the Earth. I dare you to find a wind at 100,000 feet. I dare you to find anything at 100,000 feet. So, no. What this says is the winds on Mars, the atmospheric density, the surface pressure, all of this good stuff that NASA's been telling us for decade after decade after decade, because this little piece of twine, regardless of where it came from, doesn't matter if the rover brought it and dropped it, doesn't matter if it's ancient Martian stuff, the very fact that the wind can pick it up and blow it away and you can do the calculation for how massive it had to be, depending upon whether it's cellulose or it's plastic or it's wire made of copper. Um, you can do the density and then you can do the mass. You, we know the size. We know the gauge of this thing. We know its dimensions. We, we know how much it would weigh, even under Martian gravity. The winds on Mars should not be in any way, shape, or form capable of moving something like that anywhere, let alone blowing it out of frame. Come on. So that, of course, means the real story is not what it is. Frankly, I don't give a damn what it is. It's the fact that it should be sitting there and sitting there and sitting there for the entire time the rover sits there until the rover drives away. That it blew away in the wind. That's my cute little title, harking back to... Uh, a very important Dylan song. The answer, my friend, is literally on Mars tonight, blowing in the wind. Because for there to be a wind that could pick that little thing up like a tumbleweed and tumble it off screen, off stage right, the winds on Mars, the atmosphere on Mars, the density 
of the atmosphere, the pressure, all of that has to be a lie, another lie from NASA. You know, they talk about the last election and the big lie. If NASA has been pulling the scam that over and over again we prove time and time again with data after data point after data point, if NASA has literally been lying about the the atmospheric density of Mars, then all bets are off because nothing, nothing can be believed. In fact, this would qualify, I would say, as perhaps the ultimate big lie. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. When we return, Charlie Zeiss and a voyage back in time to another set of lies. Other side of midnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hoagland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcast that provides you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. And welcome back, everyone, to The Other Side of Midnight for the Saturday night, July 16, 2022. What you're hearing in the background is a uh, really Ukrainian national anthem. And I kind of play this every show just to remind everyone that on the other side of the planet, a very dedicated people are kind of duplicating what we did 240 plus years ago. They're trying to be free, very hard on this planet right now to be free.
Before I bring Charlie on, I want to go back to one of my items, which is item number three. Let me get the right screen up here. Live television, live radio, whatever. Okay, um, this is an extraordinary place. It's in Bulgaria. It's called Pobiti Kamani. And this is a tourist snapshot. Uh, We happen to have uh, some folks in the area tonight. Uh, They have been instructed by email, courtesy of one of our colleagues and friends, to um, go to this place. It's not far away from where they are. Take much better pictures. Kind of haunt the local museums and see if anybody has picked up interesting stuff. Because when I first saw this shot, and again, it comes from uh, Ron Gerbrun, who found it. And I'm sure Ron will join us in the third hour and talk a bit about the background. Um, I was stunned because it's a much better image than what we're getting from perseverance and curiosity of extraordinary ancient architecture on the planet Mars. Except this isn't on Mars. It's right here on Earth and anybody can go and explore it. Now, where things get really weird, the standard mainstream explanation for this site, for all those stunning architectural forms, for those pillars, for the background, for the incised rooms, for all the obvious architecture and busts and faces and all the carving and all the amazing stuff you see there, the mainstream word is it's all natural erosion. I mean, the lie is so deep and so long and is so labored that it gets to the point where you have to ask, what's in it for all those people who cannot literally follow science and figure out and publish the truth? So on that note, let me introduce a citizen scientist, a colleague, a friend, someone that I have been uh, uh, kind of enamored with ever since I found out what he was doing. And I've got one of his gadgets sitting in my living room and there's a really intriguing story um, associated with that, which I'll talk to in a little while. Charlie Zeiss, <clears throat> no relation to the Zeiss Optical Company, I have to keep saying that, became interested in Russian pyramids in 2016 while watching David Wilcox's wisdom teaching series on Gaia TV. Intrigued by the extensive pyramid research compiled by the Russians, he set out to make pyramids for his own and others' experimental and research use. After verifying a number of the Russian pyramid research results and noticing numerous personal health improvements from pyramidal field exposure, and I want to ask you about that because I'm literally sitting uh, either in the living room or the library within 10, 15 feet of this damn thing, and I have for a couple, three years, and I'm wondering if it's the reason that I feel in pretty good condition if it weren't for the smoke which thank god has died away anyway the russian pyramid geometry became his full-time passion and pursuit in early 2019 charlie was able to ascertain the previously undisclosed sacred geometry of the russian pyramids his calculations pointed to the sacred geometry being based on universal phi scaling He was able to confirm his research through direct measurements of photographs of the Russian pyramids, the correlation of the Russian pyramid geometry with the scaling angle, and independently developed by author and researcher Marshall Lefteritz, 
and his discovery of the unique geometric correlations between the Giza and the Russian pyramids. Over the past five years, Charlie's been able to locate 76.345 degrees in the architecture of literally thousands of pieces of ancient architecture from civilizations and religious traditions all around the globe, with dates ranging from thousands of years ago up to the present. Charlie is currently the chair of the Pyramid Science Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit research corporation that he created in 2020 to study the health, environmental, agricultural, and material science benefits of Russian pyramids. He recently published 76.345 Russian Pyramids and the Hidden Secrets of the Golden Ratio. He is currently working on additional books on the Russian pyramids and their extraordinary encapsulation of what has been termed ancient sacred geometry. Oh, and by the way, Charlie is a former Wall Street investment banker. We won't hold that against him. And was one of the primary architects of mortgage-backed securities in the 1970s. He received his BA and MBA degrees from one of my old stamping grounds, where a dear friend of mine uh, hung out and taught for many years, uh, Dartmouth College. So without further ado, Charlie, come on down. Hello, Richard. Thanks for having me on tonight. I have been looking forward, as you all know, to this show for weeks, and everything seemed to get in the way. How many times did we have to move your show? Like what, three, four times, something like that? I think, well, at least three, yeah. <laughs> I lost count. But as they used to say, you know, saving the best for last, I've got to tell you a bizarre story. I mean, it's so bizarre that it deserves to be part of tonight's record. So um, here goes. And I don't, if you, if you out there in, in, you know, listener land choose not to believe me, it's perfectly fine because I know what happened. I know my own truth. And I have a feeling that Charlie uh, kind of understands where, where this could be coming from. Many weeks ago, I, you, you, you sent me an email, what, like a month or two ago? On the on, yeah. on on the new book, okay. Yeah. About mm-hmm. three days or two days before your email come in, I mean, I've had with with your assistance and Laura London's, I've had your pyramid, your big black, very steep Russian geometric pyramid set up in the uh, corner of the living room for the last couple of years, and I periodically put things in it plants um i put crystals i put all kinds of stuff to see if the effect is having something that i can actually measure i even have a um, a western uh, chimes clock uh that's not the name of it uh winston chimes clock and i've been wanting to put it inside the pyramid to see if like with the accutron uh it would change the actual frequency of the pendulum because of changes of inertia but because the time clock is so irregular, that, that experiment I don't think is going to be very fruitful because those those uh, clocks were not accurate to more than like a minute. And um, it also depends on when you wind them. When you wind them, they speed up and then they slow down and, you know, teasing out any kind of pattern with the clock, which was one of my initial experiments, seems to be uh, more problematic. And since I don't have a working accurate at the moment, 
I haven't been able to do one of the things that I really wanted to do, which is to test the Russian pyramid that you have replicated on a scale that can be put into a large living room. Uh, I haven't been able to duplicate that yet, so that's one of those experiments in progress. But what I did do um, several months ago, maybe like six, eight months, is I took one of Robin's Christmas presents that she gave me some years ago because we would always like try to find very unusual things for each other. And she found this wonderful sealed glass teardrop, which sits on a beautiful blonde wood base with a little cutout so that the rounded bottom of the teardrop, which is about eight inches high and maybe five inches wide, and it's like a beautiful crystal, it's iridescent, and inside there is water, I believe it's water, and in the water there are crystals. And the little promo thing that came with this gift was that even though it was sealed, the crystals would respond to changes in atmospheric pressure and weather patterns. And so when there was a storm coming, the crystals would kind of disassociate and the water would become cloudy. And when the storm had passed and we were under another high, the crystals were supposed to kind of realign and cling to the sides and the, the fluid, the water in the teardrop, this large teardrop would become clear again. So Robin got this. I forget where she got it. And she gave it to me and we set it up and we watched it and we watched it and we watched it and she got very disappointed because it didn't do any of the things that the little brochure that came with it said it was supposed to do. So, of course, Robin died three years ago. And I had this sitting, like in memory of her on the coffee table. Um, and I thought one day, I wonder what would happen if I took this sealed, um, you know, hygrometer or, or barometer, whatever you want to call it, and put it in the pyramid. I wonder if the enhancement of the field, if the amplification of the geometry of this of this steep, four-sided open pyramid would have any effect on the crystallization. And I've tried to, you know, take notes, and I don't have a camera yet uh, back from where it's being repaired, so I haven't been able to document any of this stuff on film yet or on video, but I will. And so that that experiment's been going on and on, and I make notes, and I'm trying to see correlations, and it's all very fuzzy, and my feeling is that the field is just so weak, even in the pyramid, that it doesn't really it doesn't really aid and abet the crystallization that the little uh, promo you know page was was telling her about when she bought the damn thing so I could see hyperdimensional physics in operation on the coffee table. So it's been sitting there, and you know most days I forget about it. And if I walk through the living room and I look at it, I think of Robin and I think of the physics and all the places that we went and measured. Anyway few weeks ago, like maybe two months, maybe six weeks, I, I don't have the date you know, in front of me, I came out one afternoon, walked into the living room, and the teardrop, which had been sitting untouched on this table, this wooden table, because I'm trying to keep everything wood, you don't want metal involved, it creates uh, weirdnesses in the interaction of the field. So it's sitting on this wooden tray table that's all wood, and 
it been sitting upright in this beautiful little blonde wood um, holder, which keeps it aligned with the vertical. Except on this afternoon, the teardrop was literally 90 degrees to the local vertical, sitting on its side like an arrow, like a teardrop pointing with the point, and it was pointing into the library at Robin's desk, which is maybe 20, 30 feet away. And there is no way the mice could have tipped it over. There's no way they could have kept it on the table because it was perfectly aligned 90 degrees. And because of the indentation of the blonde wood uh, stand, if they tipped it or pushed against it, it would have just fallen over and fallen on the floor and fallen on the carpet and hopefully it wouldn't have broken. But no, something had carefully realigned it literally in the pyramid, pointing out the side 30 feet away at the desk that I bought Robin many years ago for her own use uh, as we putting a household together. And then within hours, literally hours, I got the email from Charlie saying, hey, I've got a new book. Would you like to talk? So, Charlie, how's that for an intro? Uh, that's pretty amazing, Richard. I mean, I am used to amazing things. Robin's been doing this for three years. I mean, three years, and I could use some expletives because I've talked with other metaphysicians. I've talked at great length with Georgia, and I've asked her, I've said again and again, has anybody ever written down the kind of stuff that's happening because Robin is still involved? She's still sending information. Hell, she's sending physical objects or rearranging them. And I don't expect anybody to believe me. I don't give a damn if anybody believes me. I'm just here to report the truth. And that is exactly the truth. So she was very excited, Charlie, because, you know, she was involved with some of my early work with Monk. Uh, She went with me to all these sites. We did all these measurements. So the way I interpret it, because the bandwidth between dimensions is so damn limited you know it makes a tin can on a string seem like you know broadband hd um her message as i got it was pay attention to charlie's email is important and when i started reading what you put together it was obvious that um, she was absolutely right so where do we want to begin for those people that have no idea what we're talking about maybe we should begin in the beginning and we talk about Russian pyramids and their geometry in contrast to the more familiar Giza-type pyramid. I think that's where we should probably pick this up. Sure. Well, you know, Richard, um, when, I, when I got interested in the pyramids, I wanted to build them. And the first thing I needed to know was what the geometry of the pyramids was. And that uh, uh, took a little while to really figure out there were some some um, uh, estimates that were on uh, a website called gizapyramid.com, which got me very close. But ultimately, when I went to measure the angle with uh, a protractor, I realized that the normal sort of two-dimensional phi relationships, the height to base length or something along our side length, I couldn't find uh, the phi relation or the golden ratio in that in that uh, 
in those structures. So what I did, and we'll, we can get to that, uh, I derived the, actually by going to, if we could, Richard, to slide three, I can show people basically what I uh, use to, to come up with the... Okay, uh, hang on, hang on, hang on. You, you missed number two. Yeah. Number two is very important because a Russian billionaire, an oligarch, literally spent oh, a lot yeah. of money building these peculiar cone, steep, steep non-Giza pyramids in the Ukraine. That's important. In Russia, outside yes. Moscow, uh, as far as his money, which is a lot, can take him. He's in all kinds of experiments. And what you were trying to do is to back engineer the geometry so you could build them yourself and duplicate independently the extraordinary results that he and his team were reporting. Okay. Let's pick up that's number three. Yeah, and that's exactly that's great background information. So, what I did, uh, I just you know, I I, I knew that most uh, cosmologists said that creation starts inside of a sphere. Uh, the sphere is the most perfect form for uh, you know the beginning of of creation. So, I took this is two dimensional, but it works exactly the same way in three. Uh, if you look at the bottom circle, this is two-dimensional, but I, I started with a diameter of one, and I started stacking circles on top of each other uh, in such a way that the diameter uh, of each circle going upward decreases by phi, or 1.618033399. Uh, <laughs> it's an irrational number. So when I did that, I then... I did that about 15 times. You can't see that all in this picture, but, or in this diagram. But uh, I then put uh, the sides uh, onto the pyramid where it uh, perfectly touched uh, the, the circles. So you, and, so you just made those lines tangent to each of the smaller and smaller and smaller circles from the bottom to the top. That's, that's exactly right. So it's not, you know, it's not a challenging idea, but no one seemingly had done that before. And sure enough, I came up with this 76.345 degree angle. And I, I just want to point out to the audience, because phi itself, or the golden ratio, is an irrational number, the 345 is as close an approximation as you can get, you you or, you know you you might be able to get it more accurate, but you're never going to get it perfect. As we used to uh, say, <clears throat> close enough for folk music. Well, that's right, that's right. So, uh, you were asking about the Russian and the Giza pyramids. We can uh, go down to uh, number four now. And what's interesting is that the golden ratio shows up in the Giza pyramid and in the Russian pyramid. Uh, everywhere, but the, ah. the key, the key point, the 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 um, probably the most important point to make for our discussion is to go to the very bottom, and you see that the slant angle of the Russian pyramid is seventy six point three four five degrees, and that goes from the base up to the top, whereas the apex angle of the Giza pyramid matches it perfectly to three significant digits and that's at the top i've i've drawn those with the common base length uh and and varied the height uh based upon that common base length so right. we see we see that 
the, the uh, Giza pyramid has this exact angle, uh, but it's at the top. I haven't figured out why that is, uh, but that is one of those unique situations that we need to, you know, I'm going to continue to think about and hopefully come up with well, a, I don't with know whether system. we covered this before, Charlie, but I think um, given the example of the so-called Merope pyramids, remember there's this little nation at the mouth of the Nile south of Egypt, which had a... Okay a separate culture um, back during the time of the pharaohs. And, and uh, they, they apparently created a whole bunch of pyramid designs, but all of them appear to be kith and kin to the Russian tall, steep pyramids as opposed okay. to the Giza. And there's one set there which is laid out, and you can literally see they go from Giza to Russian geometry all in a line built side by side over thousands of years and wow, they're okay. and they're in pretty bad condition and if i'd had my wits together i would have uh uh found that i probably during a break can find it and keith can put it up uh, uh in my section as item number six the point is i think what they were telling us and again this is this is where we have to do the measurements that because the physics of the earth the hyperdimensional physics changes over time the one geometry does not fit all. You have to have a tuned pyramid resonator with a different geometry to match the physics of the era that you're in as it ratchets up and down and is modulated by the larger background cosmic context, primarily the precession of the Earth that we're immersed in here on the planet. So that's my idea for why the different geometries and why both those geometries in the extreme incorporate the same angle, but in different localities. Okay. All right. Well, I'd love to look at that and, and explore it further. But I just to, to continue, here are th I, in 5, 6, and 7, I'm going to show you um, three more examples of of this angle in nature. Oh, okay. uh, one number five is the refraction of light. And this in this experiment, uh, the the researcher put a glass sphere inside of the end of a pipe and shone light through it. And when we measure the uh, angle of refraction, uh, we find this exact uh, angle showing up uh, in the refraction or the scaling of light. And then six, we can't see sound, but what I find interesting is that when you look at a megaphone, uh, it has exactly the same slant angle uh, as well, showing that, that all sorts of waves and different spectra uh, seem to use this geometry. Wait, wait, then, you mean all those 1930s movies with um, uh, Ronald Reagan and Ra Ra Sisboomba and the football cheers and all that, the Newt Rockney story? that the megaphone that the cheerleaders are using is of this extraordinary pyramid Russian angle? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's amazing. Yes, yes, yes. Wow. And then, you know, the last one uh, uh, in this segment uh, is, is DNA. Uh, I was able to find a... a, a you know, oh, you're kidding. I was able to, to, to measure... 
and it seems to, um, to, to have this exact uh, geometry as well. So we've got lots of data that, you know, this scaling process, just to, to go back, Sim Hermain and others have, have uh, shown that the universe is scaled in five, both uh, uh, Nassim and Dan Winter, another researcher, have, have used the same techniques. So uh, uh, we know that this five-scaling ratio, you know, uh, is used in nature. And now, you know, in these examples, we see that it's, uh, you know, examples how we can uh, can see it. So, you know, this all of this made me realize that this was a very significant uh, geometric angle. Uh, and when we come, you know, come back in a few minutes, we'll we'll start to go some through some of these other uh, photos. But what I started to find, I, you know, Richard, originally I was going to do this book on the pyramids alone, but once I started to find this in one place, I found it in another and another and another. And what I came to the to to find out was that this geometric angle has been used by cultures on every continent, in every religious tradition, and they date back potentially as far as uh, 350,000 years. Now, that's we can go into that dating methodology, but... Uh, well, that's why know, I brought up the stuff on Mars, because, of course, there's multiple yeah. eras of separate cultures on Mars, Despite sure. NASA's determination to ignore anything unusual, like blowing string, I mean, come on. And that place yeah. in Bulgaria, when, when Ron joins us probably in the third hour, I mean, how anybody can look at that and simply wave their arms and say, oh, it's just natural erosion and, and sedimentation from water from a lake. They're nuts, or they think yes. we are. <laughs> agreed, agreed. So, okay, hold it so, there, hold it there, because we are literally okay. at the uh, uh, bottom of the hour. Okay. I think we're no, we're at the top of the hour. Gosh, time does fly when you're having fun. My guest this morning is uh, Charlie Zees, and we're talking about the most extraordinary discovery, which is that on a planetary scale, in cultures all over the planet, from all different eras, and boy, am I going to track down his date of. 330,000 years in the past because, well, that kind of overlaps another place with ancient architecture that got me into all this through what I call the Martian doorway. The Sidonia geometry, the Sidonia city, the city by the face on Mars that NASA to this day is determined to make everybody think is just a trick of light and shadow. Well, numbers are not tricks, and they're not made of light, except in this case, it does seem to be. And we'll talk about what that might imply when we return. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. Do not touch that dial.
theothersideofmidnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hogland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, $0.33 cents a day. Support the broadcaster to provide you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. And welcome back, everyone, on this Saturday night, July 16th. July 16th. Why does that ring? Oh, I know why. Because here in the Land of Enchantment, decades and decades ago, on July 16th, mankind in the modern era first detonated its first atomic bomb. Charlie, let's zip back to 300 plus thousand years ago. What the hell did you find there? Okay, let's go to number nine. Okay, every time you say that, I think of Lily Tomlin. Number nine? (laughs) Number nine? Okay, number nine. Which is the Naragi Asoru. Um, Naragis are somewhat unique to, well, they are unique to the island of Sardinia, uh, which is an island in the Mediterranean Ocean and is part of Italy. But there are anywhere from 10 to 20,000 of these naragis that uh, it's estimated were built on the island. Uh, this particular one is just you know one of many I have in the book, but they all end up having this exact same geometry. Now what's interesting is the the historians for all of these types of conical structures, whether it you know, eight through 10 and so forth. No one has really come up with a a, a reasonable idea as to what these are for. Well, of course not. They don't have the proper reference. They don't. This would be like if if someone came from Alpha Centauri and spoken Swahili to them. It's so far beyond their imagination. They literally can't conceive of an ancient culture that knew more about the universe and how it works and how to make it work for us than we do. That's exactly right. So now this is the, these are the objects that I uh, mentioned. There is a, there is a particular dating methodology it has nothing to do with carbon dating, but it actually has to do the, all of these Naragis are uh, oriented to a magnetic North that existed at the time of their, oh, their construction. Wow. And there there is a website that I came across in doing this research 
Uh, it's called Antiquity Reborn, and uh, the the website is. Uh, I don't understand what the why this is the name of the website, but it's Mario Build Reps b u i l d r e p s dot com, and there they show that they have taken all any number of these ancient types of, of of structures that were oriented to magnetic north from around the globe. They show how changes in the Earth's crust or other factors, I assume, have have modified uh, magnetic north uh, over time. But they have have correlated that, and therefore they have been able to come up with an estimate that these Naragis, uh, you know, are somewhere around 350,000 years old. What? So, yes. Yes. Good grief. So, well, wait, wait, wait. Are you saying that the actual structure we're seeing is that old, or the the architectural ground plan is that old? And somebody well, simply rebuilt and rebuilt and rebuilt. Like at Giza, we know that the the pyramids there are not the originals. The originals, by the way, of the of the Giza ground plan is yeah. something on the order of 250,000 years old. Okay. And I've yeah. got a geophysical so measurement for that. So this to me is, is kind of expected, but I would think that we're looking at the rebuilding through some kind of ritual cultural process of stuff on a sacred site and memorialize this, this original angles as part of the Ritual. I I can't I can't really comment on that one way or the other, but uh, it's very possible. It seems it seems extraordinary that these would be that old, but yes, the orientation of the site to magnetic north uh, dates back three hundred and fifty thousand years. Wow! So, just an amazing thing. So we'll start. You know, we can start there. What these all of these conical structures. Uh, were things that I just found earlier this year, and I and I have to attribute a, a, a good friend of mine um, in Nebraska who sent me. Uh, if we can go back to number eight, I'll give you some context. The um, this is the Great Zimbabwe ruin in in Africa, and uh, Michael Tellinger and Dr. Sam oh yeah, Michael Tellinger yeah yeah, and Dr. Sam Asmanigich. Um, uh, Michael Tellinger put out a newsletter about this site, oh, I don't know, probably six months ago now. And in it, um, he discussed the fact, he and Dr. Sam measured the the ionization field of this great Zimbabwe ruin, and it was higher than any sort of uh, ancient uh, structure that they had ever measured. Ah. And, and I, I, uh, my friend sent me a picture of this and said, uh, the angle looks about right. Could you check it? <laughs> it by the way, by the way, I, I, I love your protractor in the image. Yeah. Very yeah. useful. Incredibly useful. Well, that's right. That's right. So, uh, so I found that, and then I started the process of finding all of these other ancient conical structures. So this was the beginning uh, of this of this more recent process, I found the Naragis uh, uh, next, and then. By the way, do you, do you do you know what the term Naragi means? I no, I don't. Okay. I mean, I, it's just a it's just a term that has been 
applied, and I don't know that it has any particular meaning uh, for our purposes. Okay. But I don't know. I'm anyway. always looking. I'm always looking for encoded information. So. Oh, sure, sure. Well, now well, well, hang 10. on a sec. Though. Sam has measured extraordinary yeah. ionization around the mega pyramids that he's measuring there in uh, in Bosnia. So I'm not yeah. surprised that he'd be into that. What I am intrigued with is that of all the sites that he's measured on the surface of the Earth, because these are in the tunnels leading under the super you know pyramid of the sun there in Bosnia. I'm yeah. surprised that this site, just standing out in the open, would have this degree yeah. of ionization. But then again, I'm not. Because do you happen to know where the Zimbabwe ruins are located on the Earth? Well, they're in Zimbabwe. In ah, Zimbabwe. but for a numbers guy. So, yeah, a numbers yeah, guy. I, oh, I don't like the longitude or latitude. Oh, so, well, this, so. is, this is crucial. They're at 19.5 oh, yeah. south. Oh, okay. They're at the well, key hyperdimensional a, yes. angle of the physics located. That's how I knew the Zimbabwe ruins were not done by anybody modern. They had to be incredibly ancient knowledge derivatives. Sure, sure. Well, the um, and that would make perfect sense. It would be a great. This is an amplifying geometry. Yep, yep, and, yep. And that's the real key here. So. Uh, that may have a tremendous amount to do with it. But we look at the Russian pyramids. We look at the great Zimbabwe ruins. And the, I should say also the, about the Nuragis, this is indirect information, but the island of Sardinia has the, uh, is a blue zone, which means that it's one of the places on Earth that has the highest life expectancy on the planet. Is that correlated? I kind of think it is, but uh, you, know, um, you have to put all these all this data together. Well, we have you, we have other correlating data. That's right. You want to hear some? Exactly. Sure, go ahead. Okay, um, I'm trying to remember the name of the senator. He is, was the longest lived senator in the U.S. Senate in American history, um, and his name is escaping me at the moment. He's in North Carolina. He was over Strom Thurmond. Strom Thurmond. Thank you, and he spent, obviously, in the Senate most of his life in Washington, D.C. He served as a U.S. senator, the oldest ever, up until he was over 100. And then he finally decided, well, you know, maybe maybe I should retire. So he did. And he went back to, uh, I think it was, uh, North, it was South or North Carolina, maybe South Carolina. Anyway, he went home and he died. And then I started being really intrigued, and I realized that the thing that had kept him alive is Washington is filled with redundant sacred geometry that exemplifies all of these angles, including 19.5, 39 degrees, which is 29, uh, which is twice 19.5, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, in all these marble monuments, marble being limestone, the geometry of the crystal is literally replicative of the geometry of the Great Pyramid, and you can take it from there. In other words, Strom Thurmond literally demonstrates that if you live in this sacred geometry for most of your life, you live a long and productive life. And the founders knew that, and that's why they designed Washington, D.C., exactly where it is and the way it looks. Dr. Dr. Gallat and the Russian research he estimates that the life expectancy 
of humans will go up 10 to 15 years if you're in the vicinity of this uh, geometry in the fields. Okay, so, I want to ask a very very selfish question. Yeah. I've been I've been living with your pyramid, courtesy of you and Laura, for now a couple of years. Do you remember exactly yeah. when you sent it? Because I don't remember. I the think date. it was probably ooh, two two and a half years ago, something okay. like that. It's within like twenty feet of me most of the day uh, when I'm in the front part of the house in the library or in the living room or whatever. I am really wondering if it's having a positive effect over time because I used to get these terrible migraines and the frequency and severity has been going down and Mm -hmm. I haven't done anything. You know, I've tried all the usual things. Nothing worked. Uh, I've tried homeopathics. I've tried uh, things that, uh, you know, go bump in the night. I've tried everything, but I've just been exposed to this damn pyramid. And then the other night, Robin, well, the afternoon, Robin turned the, the crystal thingy sideways to make me really pay attention to what you were going to talk about in terms of the damn pyramid. So mm-hmm. I'm wondering mm-hmm. if I'm a living example of how just having one around as a, as a positive effect. Well, I think so. I mean, ultimately, well, you've got one in yeah. your house, right? Oh, I have four of them in my house. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, as an anecdotal example, I went to get my uh, license renewed. So I have a new photo, which, you know, uh, I can compare to my other one four years ago, and I've tried this on uh, three or four different people, and most people pick the wrong picture in terms of which one is more recent. So uh, take it for what it's worth. But yeah, I don't, I don't look any older, and probably look a little bit younger than I did four years ago. So, what about whatever. your, what your general health? Because normally as we grow Excellent. older, weird things happen, you know, little yeah. nitpicky things. I am, I am about uh, six weeks from my 70th birthday, and I do not take any prescription medications. All of my vitals are perfectly good. The aches and pains that I used to have from breaking my ankle uh, about 10 years ago, uh, they, they have disappeared. So I cannot, I have no issues whatsoever uh, with respect to my health. And I will say anecdotally as well, uh, I think you, you knew, as you know, I was on, on a tour this week. Uh, and uh, so many of the people who were on the trip and uh, were, I don't know if it's COVID or what it was, but uh, were so incapacitated. My partner, Lisa Richards, was on the tour with us. She and Annetta, who you know, was on the tour. Mm. They both had to drop out and, and, and uh, try to recuperate. I haven't, I, I felt mildly uh, ill one day, but uh, basically I went through it without any problems. My immune function is high. I wish I'd had the pyramid with me, <laughs> so it would have uh, probably made it even less severe. But uh, oh, I definitely agree with all of the research that the Russians have done. So, in health research, changing all, uh, changing no. subjects drastically, <clears throat> and it it really isn't. Did you happen to watch any of the animations of the unfolding of the Webb Telescope? No, I have not. Okay, well they have. Out in front of this 21-foot mirror, they have a secondary 
and the light hits the main mirror, is focused up to the secondary, and then bounces back down through a hole in the main mirror. And they have three uh, carbon fiber struts that hold the secondary within fractions of a millionth of an inch in front of the primary. And because they had to fold this whole thing up like origami and put it in a nose cone, it all had to unfold. So they have this structure unfolding the the struts for the secondary. And I'm just wondering, Charlie, if you could produce a portable version of the pyramid so you could literally carry it in a knapsack or carry it in a briefcase and then when you get where you want to be in a hotel room or wherever, we yeah. unfold it and set it in the corner of the room. Well, it's a, I, we, we've tried to make it as compact as we can, but, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, that would be a work in progress, but, uh, I might be able to make it with, uh, greater number of vertical and horizontal pieces or something like that to make it hmm. fit inside of a suitcase. But that's that's probably for another day. So like uh, me, you spend most of your time somewhere within a field of one of the pyramids, right? I do. I have one in my bedroom, um, I and I use that for meditation. I'm sitting inside one right now at my desk. Um, uh, my significant other has... Uh, you know, her own meditation pyramid as well. And we also have a smaller one in the house to help with some plants that uh, a money tree that was very, very sickly. We, we uh, uh, put a three foot pyramid next to wait, it. Wait, wait, wait. What uh, kind of, what kind of tree? It's called a money tree. That's what I thought you said. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's how you produce yeah. pyramids. You have a money tree. All right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So but no, ser- ser- seriously, um, have, what have you noticed with the, with the effect of the pyramids on the plants? Oh, plants. Um, we did a we did a controlled study several years ago. We had two uh, raised planters where uh, we had identical soil, identical conditions. We put a pyramid in one of the two planters and uh, put the same same plants in. And the plants grew at least twice as fast in the uh, planter with the pyramid. Well, that's pretty robust. It is. It's all in conformity with the Russian research that uh, they've done studies that not only do plants grow faster, but significantly now in this time uh, that they are drought and pest resistant. So, uh, significant it would be great to get this research replicated in the u.s yeah boy would it yes yes so anyway if if we maybe can we'll move on to number 11 here okay this is othello castle in cyprus now i found once i got into these conical round structures i found so many of these things than a mali temple yeah, well, that's the next one, yeah. But the Othello Castle, if you look at... Oh, you the, said 11. We skipped 10. Oh, I'm sorry, 10. Yes, yeah, 10. Yeah. Okay. Othello Castle. Uh, any number of castles, uh, so-called, have have uh, this base geometry in them. But I'm, gonna, I'm just going to throw a theory out here, Richard. I can't prove it until we do energy testing. Mm. But my theory is... If, 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 the, if the traditional historian perspective is that these, these um, the tops 
were meant to protect people with you know who were shooting guns. Or yeah, it looks like battlements, you know. And, well, yeah, whatever. They could also be square waves. Oh. As opposed to sinusoidal waves. Oh, how and, interesting. Yes. So I don't know that. We need to do research. And, Where and is energy. Othello Castle? Cyprus. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. And it's named after the famous guy in the Shakespearean play, of course. I assume, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Enough, enough with that. But anyway, so that's a whole separate area. But virtually all of these... Uh, castles that were built in that region. Well, in Eurasia, if, 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 if the hyperdimensional geometry is tracking physical objects in three space, then you should be able to entrain the waves, the resonances, the patterns by the kind of geometry made out of matter that you create in three space. So That's your right. I- idea is not wacky at all. I think it. How do we measure? It? I don't think so. I don't think so. I'd love to, you know, go out and do this. Um, we're we're in touch, by the way, with um, Konstantin Karatkov. If you know him, I'm not. I shouldn't say I'm in touch personally, but I'm in touch. He he has developed um, a system called BioWell, which is an energy testing mechanism. And to describe it very simplistically, I call it uh, Carlian photography on steroids. But it's called gas discharge visualization, and they. They anyway. He has a person uh, on his staff whose sole purpose is to go out and measure the energy fields of these kinds of ancient um, uh, structures. So you know, I'm hoping uh, to you know start doing some real research with them. We've got to buy a well now ourselves, and Lisa, my partner. Okay, for people that have no idea what you're talking about, which is me, what is a bio well? Who is this character? And how did you wind up meeting him? Well, Konstantin Karatkov is, is uh, again, a Russian scientist who uh, has developed this, this energy testing technology. And that's, I mean, he's, uh, he's got a Ph.D. And I think he, I, he lives in, I believe it's in St. Petersburg. But he has developed this technology called the BioWell. That's the name of the system. And... Um, we just bought this system uh, uh, for our own use a couple of weeks ago. So we have, you know, I, I don't want to pretend to say that I understand all of the technology involved, but we are in contact and I've seen the videos of the, this individual uh, who works on his staff that goes out and measures these energy fields with this. So we're, we're looking forward to doing this kind of testing is what I'm saying. Well, the, the obvious question is, what is he measuring? Well, he's measuring, he could be measuring ionization. Uh, I, I honestly, like I say, we just bought the system. So I, I, can't, I can't tell you until I know more about it myself. Okay. But I see this on the horizon. So, you know, time will tell. Yeah, see, I have, uh, I have a way of measuring with the Accutron, the, the fields around these structures, but it's very yeah. different from normal electromagnetic, you know, radio waves, Whatever, whatever. So um, I'm, right. I'm, I'm wondering how he's measuring something that normally can't be measured in the electromagnetic spectrum. Yeah, well, uh, I can't answer that question at the moment, Richard. But so you will. I'll have to learn. You, know, you will. I will. Okay. I'll All know right. it over time. 
I've just been busy with the tour and a lot of other things. So I've kind of left that for Lisa to, to start to take over and, and deal with. But anyway, um, going on, uh, 11, the Theravada Mali Temple. Uh, there's two types of architectural styles of, of Hindu temples uh, shown in 11 and 12. There's the uh, Southern or Dravidian style, which is uh, what is demonstrated in the Theravada Mali Temple. I will tell you that there's a, there's a, an Indian YouTube researcher named uh, Praveen Mohan who, has, uh, who does uh, videos on all of these sacred sites, ancient sites, uh, in that part of the world. And this particular temple uh, has, uh, it generates a tremendous thermal energy field uh, that uh, keeps the temperature inside the bottom of that uh, uh, temple at something north of 100 degrees Fahrenheit. What? Uh, yes, yes. And what, what's found in, in what his research demonstrates is that there is a, the, a there, there's the equivalent of a Tesla coil that uh, is buried into the earth, and the technology that Nikola Tesla used may not be all that dissimilar, but uh, yes, this, this temple uh, generates a tremendous amount of thermal energy. And I would also say... But wait, is that, is, that, me, is that what it's supposed to do, or is that a side effect? Well... <laughs> I don't think anybody can answer that question. Well, at the in moment, three dimensions, will... <laughs> in, in, the reason I ask that is in three dimensions, all energy ultimately degrades to heat. So I'm thinking there's another yeah. reason, and all they're measuring is a side effect, and got to get to the real reason for why it's it's having such thermal entropic um, degradation. What's it really supposed to be doing? Well, one of the things that Praveen has demonstrated is, for example, in this uh, temple, uh, there are portions that are not open to the public, and he went up there. Uh, there are things called lingams, which in the Hindu culture are, are considered sacred objects. But, uh, and that, that's perhaps part of this, but what I'm going to tell you will blow your mind. He found uh, statues of the Buddha inside of these Hindu temples. And he, he thinks that what has happened is that these have possibly been, been stripped. Uh, these could have been direct, uh, you know, power plants for electricity. We don't know. But anyway, there is an energetic field that's coming off of those, pyramid, those temples. Um, and, you know, certainly more research to come would be, would be wonderful. Well, it sounds but, to me like the biological area should be looked at because that, to me, will be the primary reason. I don't so, think it's just electricity. No, or it may not be. I don't. You know, like I say that. But we're what what we're finding is that there are energetic fields associated with this geometry all over the planet, and that's the you know that's I think the key thing for people to understand. And we'll see some other examples as we move forward. The, the northern or Nagara style is demonstrated in uh, figure 12, which um, we can talk about this maybe later or now, but it, this demonstrates a profound knowledge of fractals. 
And I won't. You're not. You're not going to like this. But we're running out of time again. We're at the bottom of the hour. Taylor, hold it. Hold it there. My guest this morning is uh, Charles Zeese, and we're talking about ancient structures all over the planet that apparently embody this extraordinary and extraordinarily meaningful geometry, which is a key to creating a solid-state device that can literally tap in to this hyper-dimensional physics. And how it manifests in 3D, I mean, you've heard the range, biological effects, maybe the generation of electricity from force space, solid state generation. And of course, all these things do have a waste uh, entropic component, which is heat. And that pyramid there in India is apparently generating a lot of excess heat, indicating that somehow energy is flowing from sources that are basically foundationed on nothing more than the correct geometry. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Broadcast and don't miss another groundbreaking conversation. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month. 33 cents a day. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. Welcome back, everyone, on the other side of midnight for this Saturday night, grading into Sunday morning here in the Land of Enchantment. The moon is not full, but it's gorgeous here in our deserts. We're talking about ancient structures all over the world that have memorialized and are exemplifying a physics to which modern science appears completely blind. And if you believe that one, Charlie, that they don't know exactly what we're talking about and they haven't taken yeah. this for their own use and kept all the rest of us on a dying planet with overloaded hydrocarbons and climate change and global warming and overpopulation and lack of food and all the things that this technology would transform the human family from literally on the edge of horror to living in another golden age. And that's what makes me so mad because anybody 
can figure this stuff out and put it to use, all they have to do is follow a scientific principle. That's right. And that's the tragedy, Richard, that, you know, as you see this, once you see it, you can't unsee it again. People have known about this geometry, have used it for health, for energy, uh, possibly for uh, psi abilities, God knows what at all. But this is, the, this is nature's scaling ratio, and it seems to have very, very profound properties. Wow. Okay, so. well, please continue, because you may think okay. three hours is long, but it's uh, you know, like you know, sands in the hourglass, it runs well, out. Well, that's right. So, um, another example, uh, there are many of these in the book. Uh, the, uh, 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 By the way, let's, the, uh, let's, 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 let's do a plug for the book. Where can people get it? How much is it? Uh, will you sign okay. copies? Because uh, this is historic stuff. Well, uh, the book is available on Amazon, uh, both in Kindle and uh, paperback edition. Uh, I think it's $47.70 uh, on uh, Amazon. And the Kindle edition is, I think, in the somewhere in the high 20s. Uh, so... Uh, you can get it there. If somebody really wants a signed copy, I do have hard copies here. If they will uh, email me, charlie at stargatepyramids.com, uh, I'll be happy to uh, sign a copy and send it out to you, and I'll you know, bill you and so forth independently. So um, you know, do it either way. Well, I, I literally haven't had time to get the... Uh, the book up onto my website yet. I, just got <laughs> I know that time. drill. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so that's, that's so. This really is a suppressed science, which now we know, based on the magnetic orientation of these ancient conical structures in Sardinia, is something like almost uh, over a quarter of a million years old. A quarter yes. of a million, which of course overlaps the dates of this amazing stuff we see at a place on Mars called. Sidonia. Okay. Yeah. So. Which has the same math, by the way. That's crucial. Wow. That's crucial. Yeah. Yeah. So, isn't it? It's fascinating. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> we haven't been hopping around from planet to planet before. I doubt it. <laughs> so, anyway, let's continue on with 13. This is a stupa. Uh, there are many, many stupas of this sort in Sri Lanka. And, and as you can see, that the, um, the geometry is found at the very top. And I would suggest the uh, top piece is, some, is a resonator that is able to scale, uh, that this was an energy device of some sort originally. That's my, that's my guess. All of these were. I think all, in, in fact, to be honest, Richard, uh, I believe that all, uh, virtually all old religious structures from the Hindu temples on to the Gothic cathedrals and so forth, all either had a healing or energetic uh, purpose originally. Now, a key so. part of this is you don't have to be inside or even very close to these for the field no. effects to, to obtain, right? Right. The Russians, the Russians used uh, radar to measure the extent of the field, the toroidal field, 
uh, and they said for a, uh, I believe it's a uh, 44, uh, no, excuse me, a 22-meter pyramid, about 68 feet tall, that they measured, the, they could measure the effects of the field out for 150 miles. Oh, my God. Correct. Yeah, yeah. So, in our... They were able to detect it. In yeah. our reconstruction of Earth's history, the, the physics used to be much higher. In fact, I think we can correlate that with the so-called golden age. And because of the processional cycle and the changing geometry, the physics on Earth plunges to this low level where we are now, barely alive, the so-called Kali Yuga. And then it ramps back up. In those down parts, when everybody gets dumb and stupid and dies in a brief period of time, which is not normal. Life on Earth right now is not normal. Get that through your heads, folks. This is not normal. Everything we're going through is not normal for the last several thousand years. There is a turning point. But in these valleys where the physics is almost non-existent, in fact, I think I measured one day and uh, Maurice L.A. did a separate measurement. It's about one one hundred thousandth as powerful as the electromagnetic field, which is why you have to have these amplifiers. But if you build these salicylate amplifiers, you can raise the physics locally within, as Charlie just said, 100 miles or so, if you build enough of them and big enough, so that a region is covered by a, a, a regime of the physics that is approaching something where human life, real human life, is possible. At least that's my, my working model. Mm-hmm. Now, Is that a cricket? In fact, that... Is that a cricket? Oh, that's my cricket, so I better mute. Oh, Ron is sitting outside listening on his lawn because he's got the cone of silence in the house. And there's our little cricket who joins the show every time Ron does. <laughs> oh. Okay. Mute yes. your cricket, Ron, please. Um, Go ahead, Charlie. All right. Okay. So I was just going to follow up on your comment. Actually, the uh, I was going to comment on the Naragis, the, um, uh, the interesting, the Naragis uh, had a lot of um, tombs or, or burial sites uh, adjacent to them, and they all contain giants. Now, I don't know if there's a correlation oh, between Oh, wait, 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 wait. Documented, photographable, museum-quality giants? Uh, yes. Because yeah, all I mean, the stuff the Smithsonian the- kept yeah. gathering has all disappeared. You mean there's a place on Earth where we can verify real giants once lived on Earth, like 12-foot or maybe 15-foot tall humans? Yes. Yeah, there are tons of these, that, and a few of them have been excavated for bones. Yeah, yeah. Do you have photographs of these in the book? Why? Ah! Well, Richard, this is a book about geometry, and I I can't, can't put everything in. So, you know, I could I could go out and try to find Well, the next yeah, one, you know, yeah. hint, hint, the next one, because this is stunningly important. If you can demonstrate geologically, historically, that these fields literally create, recreate humanity's original condition, that's not trivial. Well, it, I agree. I agree. And, and I'll, I'll, I'm going to bring that up here in a, in a moment in some other context. But let's. We've we got a lot to cover here, so um, 
Let's talk about the Gothic cathedrals, number 14. I just picked one, but I looked at every Gothic cathedral uh, that is listed in Wikipedia, so I figure that's a, as complete a list as I'm going to find. And there are some cathedrals that don't have steeples or spires, but the vast majority do, and the vast majority of the steeples have this geometry. Now, many others also contain a slightly less steep angles of 72 and 72.828 degrees. Mm-hmm. And you're going to say, well, what is that? What are those? Well, one is the golden triangle uh, relationship, and the other one is what people call the Nubian uh, geometry, although, and this is a side event, there really isn't such a thing as a Nubian geometry pyramid because they're all over the lot. Yeah, they are. But, but um, no matter, 72 and 72.828 are all five-based and therefore are amplifiers of energy fields. So uh, th- you find this everywhere in these ancient cathedrals. So we've... We, uh, so what anyway, about what about all, the very famous ones like Notre Dame, the one that burned in a yep, very well, suspicious Notre way? Dame, Notre, that Notre Dame does not have it. Some of the other ones do. Uh, so, uh, but the vast majority, and and like I said, this as I say in the book, you know, this is outside of. I mean, that's a whole separate study. I have not found anyone who has done the level of work to look at the geometry of these steeples that I've done so far, but I, I just kept it to the 76-345 examples. Uh, synagogues had this. Uh, I, I have to say there are very few examples, in large part because of what happened during World War II and Kristallnacht. So, uh, but there were examples of, uh, of synagogues uh, that had this. But more importantly, uh, let's go to 16 and 17. Hmm. The Samara Mosque, uh, perhaps the best example of a mosque uh, which which has this geometry. Uh, it's it's literally cooked into the entire structure. But what is fascinating? It is essentially uh, the geometry of a phi spiral. It's a vortex. Yes, it's an HD energy vortex in 3D. That's right. That's right. Wow. So, uh, but now let's go down to 17, which is the Tower of Babel. Oh, the Samara Mosque is in current day Iraq, which was Babylonia. Yeah. And I have to start to question: Is this uh, uh, mosque? in any way related to uh, our depiction of the Tower of Babel. Babylonia, Babel, I don't know, but I will tell you this. this is not, 17 is not a, an accident. I went through and I found that every uh, painter of, of the Tower of Babel from the 1500s literally up to today, the, the structure may look different, but they all seem to contain this geometry, this slant angle. Hmm. So I don't know what that means. Well, let us, let's uh, take a look from 30,000 feet. 
Yeah. The standard story of the Tower of Babel is humankind <clears throat> builds this tower to reach the level of the gods, and the gods strike back and destroy the tower and mankind for a long time and do not let him because the the saying is, you know, they they would become like us. Well, exactly. if, this, if this is exactly. all about the physics, if this is all about controlling the real physics of becoming godlike, even in human form, even in 3D, then this incredibly ancient and very amorphous mythology takes on a whole new meaning. Absolutely. That's exactly it. I have that, that Bible verse quoted in the section uh, of all of these uh, these paintings. And could it be that uh, what that was representing was they did not want people to have knowledge of this geometry and the, and the, and the effects that it could produce? And that might be interdimensional effects. Don't know. You well, know. We, remember, we've got measurements. We know it's interdimensional effects. Yeah. Can I toss yeah. in a comment? Oh, Ron, Ron Gerbron, our resident yeah. generalist. Yeah, by all means. Hi. Yeah, uh, the, uh, that, uh, that ancient architectural uh, alignment and resonance and measurement and angles and so forth, it's affected by the building material. And they knew this in ancient times. And so it affected the angles they would use depending on what they built it out of. It's even why all those Naragi don't use cement. That's another angle to it. They're all, uh, they look Mycenaean to me, by the way. Which is like pre-Hellenic Greek civilization, which we know precious little about because they weren't keeping records yet. Uh, But it's, uh, yeah, I could see somehow a connection with those. But that's, which is as much I know about the Naragi, but as far as the uh, angle, the angles and so forth, that's that's also affected by the building material. And the builders of that mosque would have known that. And then those Meru uh, pyramids in um, this, what's now the Sudan, obviously were aware of whoever built those were aware of that as well, because they're not, they're not as old as Egypt. You know, they're newer, but they. Uh, Obviously, they were using the ancient measurements, and what they had to build with was bricks. So that meant that you built a different shaped pyramid. Mm-hmm. And despite the way they look in Game of Thrones, which is really sexy. <laughs> Everybody that's keeps what referencing that stupid television show. I've never seen it. Don't it's, want to see it. Anyway, uh, Charlie, please well, continue. And, and, and Ron, please mute. Your little cricket is very loud tonight. He's got lots of friends. Okay. Okay. All right, I think we probably should move on to the next page. Okay, right below the Tower of Babel, number 17, it says Charlie Part 2. Click on that. That will take you to Charlie's next page. Okay. Oh, now we're in one of my favorite places, the Washington National Cathedral. Yes, indeed. So so we find that uh, this is a more supposedly contemporary uh, you know, rendition of this geometry. I, I wonder sometimes whether this uh, actually was built when they say it was, but uh, we'll, we'll accept it for the moment as fact that it was built in the uh, 19th century, I guess. But uh, Well, how could you hide? I mean, you, it's, a big, it's a big building in D.C. There were a lot of people even then. Well, Richard, you know, there are ancient maps of America in 1499, when Columbus 
discovered America in 1492, and Chicago wasn't uh, supposed to be established until, what, the early 1800s, and there's a city in the Midwest called Shilaga on that map, so right where Chicago is today. So well, we I know question- the Templars came here. We know there was a lot of travel between Europe before, you know, yeah, Columbus and all exactly. that, but, 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 but. The actual cathedral was not built until when it was. The ground plan, where they put it, that may have been an ancient legacy. Yeah. Well, could be. Why but do you no doubt? Matter. Why do you doubt that no something matter. so obvious is is, is you know is, is somehow they're lying about when they built well, it? Well, Richard, I'll, I'll give you an example. I didn't bring it in here, but uh, I don't believe that the, the Salt Lake Temple was built. Uh, by the Mormons, and I have a pl- I have plenty of proof for that as well. So you know, you, one one just has to keep an open mind. I'm not saying it didn't, but I'm saying I I don't accept that as fact. Uh, given given the other examples that I know of, where uh, I I there's plenty of evidence that they were built prior to the dates that were uh, there. Well, see, you can't just throw something like that out there without providing evidence, Charlie. Evidence. Pick one. Well, Richard, if you'd like me to, I don't have the Salt Lake Temple information here, but I'd be more than, you know, I can discuss it uh, right now. But Yes, by as, all means, do, do. Yeah, as an example, uh, there are no real photographs of the Salt Lake Temple being built by the Mormons. The one photo that does exist uh, shows some scaffolding uh, work at the top of the, pyramid, uh, of the temple, uh, but... It's all right. It's just essentially, uh, it looks like a made-up photograph. But more importantly, the uh, temple itself has been under renovation recently, both uh, currently and also 40 to 50 years ago, to reinforce the foundation. And they excavated that building down 20 to 40 feet. And as it turns out, there is an entire separate floor of that of that cathedral or that building that was buried like a, a la mud flood. So, uh, you know, I just, I, I, I have my doubts uh, certainly about that one. And when I start to doubt that and I see the other examples of uh, what I'll call Tartarian architecture in the United States, I don't buy uh, a lot of our traditional narrative. So, yeah, but yeah. If, even if we don't have photographs, we have eyewitness testimony. We have local newspapers. We have settlers. We have family Bibles and, and you know, um, diaries and all that stuff. Is all that made up? That's impossible. You can't control that many people separately. So what I'm thinking that you may have caught kind of a, a piece of is these were ancient sacred sites for the very reason and Mesoamerica used to build stuff over and over again on the same site. The geodetics of where you put stuff on the planet interacts with the physics in very specific ways. So I can well believe that ancient knowledge was used to build modern versions of structures, but I really find it hard to believe without evidence that there's just fakery as to when the structures we currently see were first built. Okay. Obviously, your mom. We can, we can agree to disagree. I don't have, like I say, this one. I, I said I have my doubts. So, well, we know, need to do I'm a whole saying, show on this because it's it's very foundational. Yeah. We're living in an era 
where facts and truth and science and validation and independent confirmation seem to count for almost nothing. So I do not want to take, you know, extraordinary statements without some level of not extraordinary proof, but just proof. Ron, you have something and your cricket has something to say. Uh, yes. Sorry. There's nothing. I'd have to walk a mile to get it's away from fine. the cricket. It's fine. The cricket's fine. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, no, I, I don't I don't see anything contradictory of what's been said uh, with the idea that there were uh, they were using a site that had been used previously or that even there was something built there before, because it was that was pretty wild land when the um, Mormons moved in there. I mean, it wasn't completely unknown and unoccupied, but it's quite possible that there were some of those structures that we keep hearing referenced, you know, from 10, 15,000 years ago, at least. Uh, that were still around, you know, or the, or locales, and that coincided with wherever I'm not familiar with who came up with the exact sighting and design of the um, uh, Mormon temple or tabernacle. But um, the, well, given uh, yeah, that my my father on Sunday mornings, you know, we did not go to, to church a lot. We did, and we kind of sampled everybody, you know, the Catholics, the Lutherans, the Methodists, the Baptists, whatever. But on yeah. Sunday morning, as one of the rituals, because we had this gorgeous radio, my father would turn up the Mormon Tabernacle Choir from the services there in Salt Lake. So I was raised from a very young age, Charlie, as someone who really admired and revered the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. So we should sure. do a show with the proper evidence going from beginning to middle to end, because this is an opening to how much else do we take for granted which has much, much deeper roots. Yep, yep. No, that would be a, that would be a great show because there is a lot. There's clearly documentation that there was some sort of catastrophic event, but most importantly, that when they got there and they so supposedly built that temple, uh, if they did, from which I don't believe, but if you look at the bottom section of that building. You'll see these these uh, windows that uh, are essentially semicircles, uh, and they they come right to the ground. When they dug the uh, uh, the ground away, you find an entire floor of uh, that structure that was buried. And I cannot believe that they would have done that on purpose from if if they had built the building. Well, it sounds to me like a fascinating story, and I remember when I landed in Salt Lake, because my first public Mars presentation was on a ranch, half-million-acre ranch straddling uh, Nevada and Utah, <clears throat> but to get there, you had to go to Salt Lake, and then you had to drive, and I remember driving up the main street in um, uh, Salt Lake City at night, because we got in late, and there were, there's, on this main street, there's a series of churches there's a Methodist church, there's a, uh, there's a Catholic church, there's the um, uh, Mormon temple, and then there's a large block structure. It's like maybe two blocks long and maybe a block wide, like a huge brick. And all of these other churches, as you, as you go, I think it's north, driving up this esplanade in downtown Salt Lake, they're all lit in varying degrees. And of course, the temple has gold and lights and floodlights, and it was incredible. And then you get to the Mormon, not Mormon, the Masonic Lodge. 
which is this two-block-long, block-wide structure, and it was absolutely dark. There wasn't a light. There wasn't a candle. There wasn't a nightlight, and it was so jarring because it was the difference between ostentation and complete dark secrecy. The Borg Cube. (laughs) Yes. Anyway, continue, Charlie, please. All right. 19, castles. This, uh, I, I could have put so many more examples of this in, but this geometry is found in, in the, uh, uh, the spires and the cones on top of castles throughout the world. And that, this could be a whole separate topic, too. You realize what you need to do next, don't you? And what is that? Measure the Disney castle. Oh, I've done that. They, they're all, they all have it. They oh, have it. of course, of course. It's in the book. It's in the book. <laughs> okay. Hey, we're, so, we're, we're coming up to the top of the hour. I'm glad I looked at the clock because okay. my clock watcher is not watching the clock. I may be busy. Okay. So, yeah. hey, but why don't we pause here? Because to me, the next part is even more bizarre. We will fade down the cricket. There goes a little cricket. Okay. You're on the other side of midnight. We're talking with Charlie Zeese, who has unearthed the most remarkable geometry, which, of course, is the hyperdimensional geometry of hyperdimensional physics, coded in all different kinds of structures that have modern dates, like churches and temples and, and uh, you know, cathedrals, or more ancient dates, like pyramids, like... Um, Naghagis in Sicily or the Zimbabwe ruins, and then really, really ancient dates of magnetic declination. And uh, the dating is showing that the same geometry is encoded on the order of over a quarter of a million years. By whom? By us? By our predecessors? By the folks that used to live here, the so-called giants. Boy, that sounds like an incredibly interesting show. We've got to have images, bones, but uh, that could take us in a whole new direction. Anyway, you're on the other side of midnight. It's Saturday night grading into Sunday morning now. Um, we will uh, transition into Monday mor- Sunday morning rather, in the next few seconds. My name is Richard C. Hoagland, and we shall return.
theothersideofmidnight.com. Talk radio with pictures on demand. Liberate your hyperdimensional time scale and non-linearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule. Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs $9.95 a month, $0.33 a day. Listen while you travel or as an environment to your endeavors. $0.08 an episode. Two and a half cents per hour of content. The other side of midnight.com. And welcome back, everyone. Now it's officially Sunday morning here in the land of enchantment with a waning gibbous moon shining over the deserts here. I mean, this really is, now that the fires are gone, uh, the land of enchantment once again. My guest this morning is Charlie Zeese, and we've got uh, Ron Gerbron and his pet cricket on the lawn there in San Diego. Charlie, please continue. So I'm just going to run through these and make some comments. The San Marco Bell Tower is indicative of, of virtually all of the bell towers. Uh, around the world have this geometry. Again, it's going to amplify sound, so that makes sense. Uh, Temple of Karnak, uh, uh, obelisks, uh, all of the Egyptian obelisks uh, seem to have this geometry uh, as well at the top. Have you measured Uh, the Washington Monument? I have, and it doesn't work. Now that's weird. What about the little aluminum pyramidion at the very top? Well, no, that I couldn't find it at the top of the of the Washington Monument. No, it's not there. So hmm. uh, I think. Well, first of all, the Washington Monument isn't a true obelisk, but because it's made out of more than one piece of stone, right? right. Uh, uh, it, it doesn't match up. I I wanted it to work, but it doesn't. It's more. It looks like it's closer to seventy-two again, or seventy. To uh, eight to eight, which again are phi-based uh, geometries, but not the seventy-six. So, all right, uh, twenty-two Egyptian hieroglyphs. Uh, this symbol is uh, seen in any number of, of locations. You can find it uh, at the Temple of Karnak. You can find it on some obelisks, but it, it translates to the word "give." And, you know, if you think about it from an energetic perspective, no, wait, maybe... Wait, wait, wait. Did you say give, G-I-B, or G-I-V-E? Give as G-I-V-E. Give. G-I-V-E. Oh, okay. So that's, what, that's the translation of this hieroglyph. But I'm going to modify it or, or suggest a modification that might be give off or emit. But, um, oh, don't know. how interesting. Yeah, yeah, don't know. Okay. Well, a giver of energy. That's right. That's right. Like so, like manna from heaven. There, there you go. There you go. So here we've got one. There are numerous examples of these in government buildings and so forth. But Harvard University, their Memorial Hall, uh, has this um, uh, geometry as well. 
24, the Ottawa City Hall. Ottawa, uh, the Canadian Parliament Building has this geometry everywhere. Uh, Ottawa has this geometry everywhere. But here's a more recent uh, example. The, the new City Hall that was built in Ottawa, they have a pyramid. Uh, contemporary pyramid that they built to exactly that geometry. When was it built? Uh, in, I'm going to say 70s, 80s, I believe. Okay. okay. Yeah. So not, not too far, not too far ago. So 25. Um, this is one of the, the, the uh, Kremlin wall tower. This is uh, 19 of, uh, there are 19 towers around the Kremlin. And 12 of them have this geometry cooked into <laughs> towers. Uh, I would also say that um, there are photographs uh, pre-Edison that show illumination around the, uh, the Kremlin in the, around the mid-1800s. So um, uh, it may have been powered by this geometric angle. Don't know. Hmm. St. Basil's. You know, a lot of this needs more, you know, more research, obviously. But, um, you know, uh, 26, St. Basil's Cathedral. This is uh, examples of of, of Tartarian architecture. Uh, We're not going to have time to go into this today. But on that uh, 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 image on the right, you may be able to see there's some dimpling. uh, Looks like... uh, Many researchers, and I would tend to agree that this is some sort of an electrical apparatus to uh, to to get free energy. We see this everywhere in Tartarian architecture. Wait a minute. Are you talking about the Chrysler building? No, I'm talking about St. Basil's. Oh, St. Basil's. Okay. The so-called yeah. onion domes. Well, that's right, and they work in conjunction with the onion domes. All stuff that needs to be explored now that we know that there's a there's a pattern here that is based on sacred ge- geometric principles. But yeah. Now here at 27, uh, this is the Chrysler building uh, in New York City. has this geometry. Very interesting, number 28, Amazon just announced a new campus uh, in suburban D.C. And they are building a building with the Phi Spiral with this geometry. Oh, my God. Uh, it's just gotten approval to uh, for construction. So... Um, they knew about it. Uh, you asked about oh, Disney. Oh, there's Disney. Yes. Yes. Okay. Every every single Disney uh, facility uh, around the world has a castle, and they all have this uh, this geometry. Well, you know so, that Disney was a mason, right? Yes. So uh, I would expect that uh, that's not an that's not an accident. Or by the a, way, I, I don't interrupt. But if I don't, I'll forget. Tomorrow night in the in the Webb Extravaganza, I'm going to be talking about the namesake of the James Webb Telescope and his Masonic roots and yes. and other things that are so mind-boggling about how much deeper in American history and American science this idea of ritual and these numbers and this physics has been masquerading under totally different uh covers for a very long time and i'm going to connect some dots that will leave you at the end of the program with knowing why regardless of the political uh pushback and firestorm that's occurred around naming the telescope after webb 
my prediction, my fearless political prediction, remember I'm batting a thousand for all these political predictions, the Webb's telescope name, regardless of all the uh, pushback, will not be changed. It cannot be changed if the mission is to be ultimately fulfilled in all of its dimensions. And I use that word very precisely. Okay. All right. Let's move on to number 30. This is a classic, uh, the caduceus, the, uh, the universal symbol of healthcare uh, in the U.S. Ends up having a, uh, a spiral with this very geometry in it. I, I don't believe that's uh, well. Well, how could it possibly be an accident? And it's the in, inverse of your stacking of the, of the spheres to that's produce, right. to produce right. the same geometry. No. Well, what it's saying, given that you measured the damn angle in DNA is the angle. It's that's basically right. saying that DNA is hyperdimensional and we are projections from a higher dimension into a three state space, body yep. and mind and consciousness. And again, it's all out there if you know how to read the signs. That's right. That's right. So um, 31 um, witch and wizard hats. Uh, all of the witch and wizard hats uh, contain this geometry. They've even continued this geometry into uh, current day. If you think of the Wicked Witch of the West hat in Wizard of Oz, that had it. Um, uh, you didn't see you didn't see Elizabeth Montgomery or um, oh goodness who played Sabrina the teenage witch but anyway both of them uh, when, whenever they had them on they they can yes to... now you want to hear something really cracked and weird and bizarre when yeah. I was called up by the Cronkite people and was ushered into August CBS News to be their science advisor when we all went to the moon and to Mars and all that other good stuff um, crew got together one night before the, the the mission, the Apollo 8 mission, reached lunar orbit and went into the Christmas Day amazing extravaganza of the Christmas mission around the moon, reading Genesis and all that. And they, they, they apparently in the background, they created this hat for me to wear on the set when I was advising Cronkite and it was one of these damn wizard hats. And it yes. had a crescent moon hung from the side. And I'm wondering now, I thought at the time it was just kind of a cute joke. I'm wondering now if somebody in the union or on the crew or somebody on the staff knew more than they should have at the time. And they <laughs> dubbed me the wizard with the hat because I, I was the connection to out there. I wonder, sure, sure. I wonder, I wonder. Very possible. So the next one, the dunce cap, is, is directly correlated to the witch and wizard hats. I'll give this story quickly. I think I did this a while back on your show. but We have new audiences, cap, so it doesn't matter. You know, people yeah, flow in the, and out. The dunce, the dunce cap uh, was designed or, or came from uh, John Duns Scotus, who was a 13th century Franciscan priest, contemporary of St. Francis of Assisi, and he began wearing those witch and wizard hats of the era, which had this geometry, and I have older pictures of those drawings which match up in the book, but uh, he 
he developed this hat and realized that he was achieving some uh, closer, uh, you know, connection to his higher self, to God, however you want to want to refer no, to wait, it. No, wait, wait, wait. He created a cone with this geometry, this sacred Russian pyramid yeah. geometry. He yeah. put it over his head to have a higher connective experience, yeah. and, and, and he reports that it actually worked. It does work. Oh, yeah, we've used it. It works. So then uh, the idea of a dunce cap on a dull student is designed not as punishment, as shame, but a way to help the student get up to the rest of the class. That's the way it should be done, Richard. But as you know, the, the church uh, turned it around. And wow. the other thing that, that – uh, More lies. More lies. Was to develop – a, a concept of a metaphysical God, and that's where he and the church got off, got on the wrong path hmm. because they vilified him and they they turned the dunce cap, which, as you say, can be, and and we have tested it. It works just like the pyramid in microcosm. Now, how do you test? Uh, how do you test a damn dunce cap? Come on, Charlie. You test it with dousing. You test it with devices such as a. Uh, a Lecker antenna, we're going to be testing it with our BioWell devices. Well, you have so, really so we, wandered we far it. from from Wall Street. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. But you find you find whatever testing uh, okay. devices you have available, and we, we tried it. We're trying to become more sophisticated. Well, I'm, I'm just wondering if, if, if you wear it for like a week or two weeks or whatever, and you give people some standard memory test, at the end of the test period – Will you have better memory? Will you retain information longer? Will you remember people that you meet? Which I'm terrible at names with people. In other words, yeah. can you test it in the real world so that it really reverses the propaganda that the church obviously dubbed on it so it would never be used for the purpose that he conceived it to be used for? Well, you know, Richard, that's why we have the foundation. I would love that this book get us the funding that we need to do those kinds of tests, you know? So uh, we've done the best that we can with the techniques that we have. But what I'm trying to show the world now is that this geometry has been used for thousands of years. So, you know, we do need to do that. So I think Ron's cricket wants to say something. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Relative to, relative to the hats. Uh, if there's some sort if they function as some sort of extra-dimensional resonator or lens, then perhaps they only work while you're wearing them. So they, they, the lasting effects wouldn't be there, with the possible exception of you know some healing function that got the body pointed in the right direction to fix something. I would think that I wouldn't agree with that, that it basically is restructuring so that the field has an imprint, and when you take away the device that creates the imprint, the imprint is still there. Maybe. You My tinfoil hat only works when I'm wearing it. Yeah, but tinfoil is no, made I'm, of I'm wrong material because tinfoil screens torsion. So what you don't want is a conical hat made out of tinfoil. Oh, right. that ex oh, that explains why I keep forgetting how to tie my sneakers. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. So let's continue on here. Um, Please. This, this geometry is also found in all of the in, ancient in, uh, Hindu headwear. 
Uh, this is just one of many, many examples in the book, but they all of these ancient uh, uh, Hindu deities always had headwear on that had this uh, this geometry as well. So uh, it goes back quite a ways. Uh, now, 34, uh, I found this one just, just as I was going to uh, publish my book. My editor uh, does a YouTube channel, and she had just been out to look at what's called an iron furnace in Pennsylvania, where I live. These were the predecessors to the steel industry, right. but all of these iron furnaces around the country all use this geometry, and I assume that the reason for that is that it. I'm not an engineer, but you know, it's it's optimizes the airflow and therefore maximizes the heat that's generated inside the iron. Oh, furnace. I think that's, it's much more than airflow. Because, yeah, well, because, because one of the things that De Palma, uh, when he was experimenting with various devices to amplify the field, discovered yeah. is that if you put chemistry inside the right geometry, which amplifies the field, the chemistry yeah. is incredibly more efficient, measurably more efficient. So obviously, they use this shape to enhance the limited fuel which was basically wood or maybe uh, uh charcoal oh. so that oh, they yeah. so they could get a hotter furnace and better uh steel sure sure yeah no i think that's that I, it all is true well we have experiments so. we have de palma's experiments which proved it yep yeah yeah and uh okay Next, uh, now this is this one gets gets us into the current realm. Oh, I love uh, this! Oh, this is so cool. Wardenclyffe Cliff Tower has this geometry, so it can't be an accident that uh, that 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 Nikola Tesla used this geometry to build his tower. Of course not. Of course and not. even more importantly, let's look down at the current day Tesla logo. And <laughs> guess what? Okay. All right. So. Uh, so why why is why is he inverted it? Is that supposed to be the Earth at the bottom with the point? I I can't tell you why they did it that way, but they, all I know is that the angle's there, and it can't be an angle. Well, it's the Wardenclyffe Tower upside down. Yeah. yeah or yeah. or maybe it's saying something like "as above, so below." Well, possibly. Yeah. I mean, this is all part of the Taurus. And, you know, you can have the top of the Taurus, the bottom of the Taurus. They're mirror images of each other. Mm. So, you know, hard to know. All right. 37. Paris lighting. As I told you, there is there. This isn't a photograph. So one can always question uh, the validity of a drawing much more than a photograph. Well, remember but how I are, said to you about uh, the Mormons, you know, eyewitnesses? There's got to be yeah. eyewitnesses who all saw this. So eyewitness testimony can put you in the electric chair, even in modern 21st century America. So we should not discount eyewitness testimony. If, yeah, I mean, of course, the real question is how valid is, is, is something that's been passed down? I don't know. I don't know, Richard. But uh, this, photo, this painting... It's from 1799. This is in Paris from the Champs-Élysées. And you can see there's an obelisk in the front, 
Uh, and then there are two objects in the back, which I've blown, blown up the, the geometry of one of them uh, and on the right-hand side, and that is uh, a pyramidal object with this geometry. So mm. uh, I, I have to believe that those pyramids and that obelisk are working in some fashion together uh, to generate that illumination. But it's there. Well, remember who hung out as the, as the founders in Paris during this time frame? Jefferson, Franklin. Yeah, sure. Oh, and, sure. And mm-hmm. Ben Franklin was the founder inventor of the old idea of technology and invention and science in the United States. Uh, basically, a fanatic. Did they have access to ancient information and documents? and other stuff oh i i think so sure sure this this not west we can see this knowledge was around for for ages and how it was disseminated i we can talk about that if we have time later i've got ancient diagrams of uh uh that that reflect that that creation does occur within this geometry we talked about that a while back but let's hold off and see if we can if we have time to talk about that later cooling towers these these uh power plant cooling towers uh are used uh for both coal and nuclear uh plants and their purpose is to cool the the water that uh is used in the in the steam generation process sufficiently that it can go back and and be reused mm-hmm. rather than bringing in new cool water or new water into the system right. 100% so it it, uh, but what its function is, there is air that is pulled in from the bottom. There's an open air space at the bottom of these uh, cooling towers. And as it turns out, uh, the geometry, which apparently maximizes the airflow uh, through that system, is this very geometry. Don't. And I assume that's going to get in. It'll get into our next uh, uh, and slide. And don't forget the chemistry going on in that steam. Yep. Yep. Uh, I think, well, we have an optimum. What this is going to do is to order. Um, oh, the you're kidding. Visual. I'm looking at. Did you plan this? No. Number, what, 30, what number 39 twice 19.5 is. Oh, no. Must, I, well, <laughs> this is called hyperdimensional resonance. Yeah. So I just watched the docking of the. Uh, of the CRS-25 this afternoon. Uh, it yeah. was this morning, but I taped things, of course, because I'm up in the morning. But, yeah, I was watching, and I'm, I've always wondered why. It, it's kind of related to Mercury and Apollo and Gemini, but it's definitely not the same. And now you're going to tell me it's got the magic angle. It does. Oh. We have, we have, and this is just one of many. I have rockets, missiles, nose, uh, nose cones, uh, jet aircraft. They all have this in their nose cone. Hmm. So this, is, I, this uh, deals, I guess, with laminar flow and the minimization of, of that. But, uh, again, you, we see this geometry uh, at work in our uh, aerospace industry. 40, the same thing you can see in submarines. Um, even uh, all sorts of aquatic animals, such as alligators, sharks, uh, dolphins, whales, it's all there. And then just to finish this up, and this is, I think, 
I left it for last, but um, the Taurus. This is uh, the Taurus. Most people have seen drawings of it, but they're never really very specific about the geometry. Uh, but this particular Taurus is actually uh, a prize that's given out for what's called the Breakthrough Prize of Fundamental Physics. Hmm. And this is uh, given out each something. year. It's, it's the most financially rewarding uh, prize. Far, the, the winner gets a whole lot more money than they do for getting the Nobel Prize. But I know and who, because there's – who awards the prize? Who's behind Well, there's a group uh, of people. This was started by a Russian uh, uh, billionaire. Of course. Name escapes me. But I will tell you that Mark Zuckerberg is on the board. How interesting. So take it for what it's worth. Is Musk on Uh, the board? No, I don't think so. Hmm. But this this particular piece, there's a YouTube video uh, by someone who is quite expert in the geometry of, of Tauruses, and they have, uh, you know, they have concluded that this this is as circular. This geometry uh, creates the optimum uh, uh, spherical nature of the Taurus. And when you go in and map, you know, map the angle, sure enough, you find this geometry again. So, I, you know. What my research, I would love to do, Richard, and I'll, we, maybe we'll have time to talk about this in the next half hour, but, you know, I, I found this ancient diagram from a, guy, a gentleman named Robert Lawler um, who wrote Sacred Geometry, right. Philosophy of Practice. And, uh, well, I've got three minutes if I can tell you what's going on. Well, we can the, always continue on the other side of the break. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I can at least begin this process. I didn't include it tonight, but he has at the end of his uh, with, uh, book, Sacred Geometry and Philosophy and Practice, a two-dimensional diagram of the platonic solids uh, circumscribed and inscribed by nine uh, circles. And very, very enigmatic. Robert didn't really tell us much about that diagram except to say that this is an ancient diagram and that uh, people such as Leonardo da Vinci, you know, were aware of it. Well, what I found, I decided so many things in in our universe are are encrypted in two dimensions that when we expand our thinking into three dimensions, we find out totally different things. And I'll use as the inspiration for me – was Metatron's cube. Uh, Metatron's cube is a two-dimensional drawing which contains in three dimensions all of the platonic solids. And that gave me the inspiration to attempt to map that two-dimensional diagram in three-dimensional space. Well, in order to define three-dimensional space, I decided to use the geometry of 76.345. And sure enough, uh, maybe another time for another program because it's much detailed, but uh, <laughs> that geometry or the, that in, in three dimensions could only occur inside this 76.345 geometry. So mm. I'll come back and speak on that a little bit uh, on the other side. 
Okay. My guest tonight is Charlie Zeiss, who has taken us on a tour de force uh, extravaganza of ancient structures, intermediate structures, modern structures, incredibly old ancient structures, all that appear to inhabit and encompass and circumscribe a geometry that we know is the key to hyperdimensional connection, which is the key to, well, the key to everything. It's the key to our reality. It's why we're here in three dimensions. And somebody seems very determined and has for a long time to keep us from knowing all this. Gosh, I wonder why. The Babylonian thing comes to mind. And is that happening right now? Is there someone or something or some presence that's trying to keep us from recapturing, relearning, and reapplying this physics so that we literally can transform this very imperiled planet into the garden that it once was supposed to be? You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We're going to discuss these implications when we return. Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcaster to provide you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. And welcome back, everyone, on this Sunday night now. Saturday night has turned into Sunday here in the Land of Enchantment. You know, Charlie, I'm, I'm thinking that the effort required to suppress such an overwhelming, all-present physics in so many domains, institutions, dimensions, architecture, um, memes, sacred texts, sacred beliefs. 
I mean, it's it's not trivial to suppress someone's entire heritage of their connection to realities far beyond merely three-dimensional reality. <laughs> you're you're absolutely right. This has got to be one of the biggest cover-ups. Uh, it's the I, ultimate big lie. The ultimate is. big lie. It is. You so how do we get out of the box? Talk about your foundation. Talk about how people can help, how they can yep. connect you with people who are in corporate land, have money, have connections, have sure. political, have historical, have physics backgrounds. In other words, all of this can be tested and the human race can thereby be born if we do it in time. That's right. That's right. Uh, first of all, yeah, we have a, a nonprofit foundation. We have so many projects that we'd like to, to take on, but we don't have the money to do it. So I hope that this show and, and other shows will get us people first who are experts in fields that we need uh, you know, assistance from, but also we need money. We need to be able to test these ancient sites for, for their energy fields and to find different ways to do that. We also uh, you know, need to uh, replicate the, in, in large part the Russian pyramid research to satisfy people that these, these effects occur. Uh, a 44 meter pyramid uh, they calculated to to create the uh, the field the uh, would uh, created by the pyramid would require all of the electric generating capacity in the whole country. Well, that sounds <laughs> hard to imagine, but we see this everywhere now, and we I've tested their research in other areas where I can test it, and it all tests out fine. I mean, so. Yes, we need money. We need expertise. Um, we have a, uh, a, a link on uh, Give, Send, Go, Pyramid Science Foundation. Uh, you know, we, we take contributions, and if people are interested in specific projects that they would like to, to fund, we're happy to, to look at any sort of way to, to get this ball rolling because there is something here, and you're right, there is a major cover-up. We need to to understand, and I, if I could, Richard, I'll just go over at least scratching the surface how all of this has been hidden from. Well, hang on. Before we do that, let me point yeah. people to where they can find your, your website. You simply okay. click on Charlie's name where it says Fast Link to Bios. It's several places down the page on page one, page two, whatever. It's also up under the banner. Uh, the websites are Pyramid Science Foundation and Stargate Pyramids. Their Facebook page is Stargate Pyramids, um, YouTube channel Pyramid Science Foundation, and then you have a link to uh, one of your major slide presentations at the website, which is linked directly below and beside your picture in your bio. Go ahead. Okay. okay. So, you know, you, you mentioned this. This has to be a major cover-up. One of the things that I did at the end, it's not complete by any means, but um, I, I began to go through and see all of the things that have been done to uh, change our history and knowledge uh, of sacred geometry, of the ether, you name it. And, you know, you start elimination of the ether uh, from our science curriculum. It was It was in our 
science for thousands of years. And uh, around the beginning of the 20th century, uh, the famous Michelson-Morley experiment, which was supposed to prove that the ether didn't exist, uh, uh, you know, was picked up. Einstein uh, originally said that the ether uh, wasn't uh, necessary or didn't exist, and then he recanted and changed his tune, you know, 30 years later. But by that time, the ether was taken out of our well, mainstream. Well, in, in the 1920s and 30s, um, yeah. my friend and colleague who's now longer with us, Dr. James DeMeo, has written a stunning book. It's upstairs in the bathroom. I don't have it in front of me, but just, you know, type into Google Dr. James DeMeo uh, book on the ether because he goes through all the experiments, including the classical Michelson-Morley experiment, which have been lied about systematically, vigorously, with huge amounts of money to get people not to realize there is an ether, there is a torsion field, there is a mechanism to open the earth from a closed system to an open system. And somebody, you know, like that great line on Independence Day, you know, when, when the president's asking, what do you want? And the, and the alien says, we just want you to die. Someone right. wants us to die. That's right. Yeah. So that's, that perhaps is one of the most important cover-ups, I think. I, I, uh, well, in terms of cover-ups, it's the foundational cover-up of all cover-ups because if you crack that code, which is memorialized right. over and over and over again, so we would not forget, so this, this you know, black, dark ages would not happen, it's happened anyway. So, Charlie, this foundation is crucial, and you've got to reach more people. What kind of strategies do you have in mind for reaching the people who have funds, who have money, who have a stake in the game. Richard, we have, we hired a couple of years ago some uh, people to try to raise funds for us from traditional foundations. And I have to tell you, no one's going to touch it because uh, I guess they're all uh, part of this, this orthodoxy. Even today, scientists uh, rediscover or through, through their experimentation the existence of the ether, and they can't call it that. They have to call it the field or the source field or whatever term they may come up with. So I, I need individuals who, uh, you know, are have the money themselves. I think is the best way to do that. And so you, so you want I'm, angels? I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about angels and how they kickstarted American science tomorrow night in terms of the the predecessors of webs, and I'm I'm gonna talk about how they did the impossible. But we now have something that they did not have, which, frankly, I think is a lot more powerful. You need yep. to set up immediately a GoFundMe page and a Promethean page and all those other ways people are now raising money for the dumbest, stupidest stuff. This is crucial, essential stuff. So you need to be yep. out there with a GoFundMe page from the get-go. Yep. So um... – Anyway, yeah, I mean, there's a lot to do here. There's just a ton. But um, what I, I to finish up on your point, once you get, once you understand that the ether is so, and you understand it, but the audience gets the understanding that the ether is absolutely foundationally critical to understanding what we're talking about tonight. Because without the ether, none of this works. But of course, the ether exists, and that's why it's suppressed. Now, the church, the Catholic Church, 
has suppressed this in any number of ways. We talked about the dunce cap. They have also, uh, even in music, uh, there are specific tones that are unacceptable in church and Catholic church uh, music, which uh, according to author Richard Merrick, who wrote a, a book called Interference Theory about 10 years ago, and it is just a phenomenal book to explain how the, uh, a harmonic theory of the universe. Mm. Uh, but he shows that the church suppressed knowledge of that as well. Most importantly, in terms of our visual perception, all major religious traditions have continued to use this 76-345 geometry in their temples <laughs> and their, their steeples and so forth, except for Western Christianity. Eastern Orthodox churches, Russian Orthodox churches continue it, but we have not. Wait, 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 wait. Well, I, I grew up in New England in, in part, and you can't yeah. you can't go five blocks in the middle of nowhere in a forest without seeing a stunningly white painted con- congregationalist church with a steeple that, to my eye, uh, looks absolutely. like it's just geometry. Yeah, but it all disappeared within the last hundred years. What a surprise! What a coincidence! that that steeple geometry has disappeared starting at about 19, mid, mid, early to mid-1900s. Hmm. The Mormon church, yeah, the Mormon church, I have a whole chapter in my book on this to try to document it. Uh, of course, they were, you know, that was done by Masons as well. Uh, uh, Joseph Smith and Brigham Young were Masons, but they used this geometry in the Salt Lake it's in the Salt Lake Temple and all of their early churches. But come mid, uh, starting around the 1930s, it disappears as it does virtually disappear from all Western Christian churches. There is not a single steeple manufacturer in the United States today that makes a church steeple with this geometry. Not a stock one anyway. I'm sure they would custom build it, but mm. they don't. So. So the church has been involved in this. But most importantly, and I think this is key, we have to think about the interrelationships between the platonic solids, between sacred geometry, between the Fibonacci series and uh, fractals. Uh, fractals, we, we are told, were invented by Benoit Mandelbrot in the 1970s Mm -hmm. they go back to the ancient hindu temples (laughs) so their origin has been has been covered up the fibonacci series was not invented by fibonacci it was goes back again to the vedas and the hindus the uh, platonic solids were not invented by plato but go back again many thousands of years uh prior to that time some years ago someone found an archaeological site or nest or something and there was in this tens of thousands of years old site i think it was in africa there were these little models of all the platonic solids existing thousands of years before plato exactly exactly so all of this knowledge has been all over the world and it's that the origin of it is being covered up and i think the reason is they don't want it want us to see that it goes back that far. Uh, I've, I've done the research in my book correlating the Fibonacci series and um, fractals, for example, and all of these things. 
uh, fractals um, uh, scale, or, or if you're familiar with the Mandelbrot set, yes. the size of the circles in there, they uh, scale with uh, phi cubed. I, we didn't, I didn't bring in the that picture tonight because we, you know, we had too much already. But that all correlates with the geometry of <clears throat> seventy-six three forty-five. Speaking More of stuff we speaking of Disney, I think Jiminy Cricket wants to say something. Yes. <laughs> oh, you're having so much fun with that. Yes. Sorry to use the crickets for that's not to imply that you're putting people to sleep, sir. Uh, the the crickets are there whether I am or not. Uh, they, but in defense of ben, uh, Benoit Mandelbrot, uh, he's a solid mathematician, and what he noted was that the standard model of formation for clouds uh, was that they were a, um, a, a sphere that didn't make it somehow. And he was looking up at the sky one day, and he realized that that wasn't the case. And the whole idea of the interaction of different layers of reality uh, hit him. And that's where, that's why he got uh, to name something. I'm not even sure he came up with the word fractal, but there is no such thing as a fractal. But I may, I do the same thing because you have to refer to them some way. It's, uh, it simply is a uh, mathematical relationship that is open-ended as opposed to uh, closed, like the platonic solids and the circles and all the other stuff that you've been talking about tonight. Uh, the, uh, yeah, they, there are engravings from about 30,000 years ago that appeared in, all over Europe and in Africa and maybe some in the Far East too, I'm not sure. Uh, and they all show the same thing, and the patterns incorporate uh, an obvious knowledge of what we consider contemporary mathematics. Mm-hmm. They just didn't have any way to apply it, so it was it was memorialized in what most archaeologists for a long time took as graffiti. Okay, Charlie, let me bring up an idea, and we'll mute uh, uh, Jiminy there. No, I can do that. That's what I mean. Yes, thank you. Okay. For many years, when I've been interacting with these inventors who kind of trip over the hyperdimensional physics and think they're going to make a billion dollars in their spare time producing energy devices, they all have failed. And, I mean, the, the, the soap operas, the stories, the, the, the chamber of horrors, you know, uh, uh, narratives as to why they all fail, but it's, it's, they're all sabotaged. And in, in some cases, it's almost like the wrong person was picked to download this knowledge and they're the last person that should try to bring it to the market because they're the last person that would ever be believed in our very materialist society uh, from, from the get-go. So I've been telling people who have asked me for advice, and there have been some, I said, look, in order to, to transform society, this has got to become something commercial. It's got to be saleable. People have to realize a benefit in their own lives from this physics, this technology, etc. So I've been touting the idea of the executive toy. Have you thought, Charlie, in that direction of producing something that's so riveting, so it can't be real, but it sits there on the desk and it runs and it floats and it works or it does something that the very fascination that it cannot be explained by any contemporary physics will imply that there's an unknown physics 
and somebody will be attracted to try to make a dollar. I'd be interested in your thoughts on how to do that, but uh, anything that I can do to get people uh, to explore this geometry in all of its different manifestations for health and energy and uh, agricultural production, uh, you name it, uh, you know, I'm game to try it. Well, you do have a model of the pyramids in several different colors, all lightweight and whatever, right. and set up right. in my living room. So are you keeping a list and are you recommending when people buy them that they do things that is part of a general database so that people can see there's real benefit from basically customer reactions? Well, you know, Richard, two years ago, I mean, this is a great example. I mean, we did our own research in the early days of COVID. Now, no one knows, at least they didn't then, whether people had COVID or coronavirus or what. But we took 50 people and we did a, a study. We, we put them through a 30-minute session inside the pyramid in conjunction with uh, sa sound frequencies. And, of course, the, again, the pyramid acts as a resonance chamber, and every single one of them, symptoms were gone by the end of the 30-minute period. So, really? you know, we've done that. Yeah, we've done that kind of research. We'd love to get that documented. I will also say, along those lines, about a year ago, I was able to get in touch uh, with Dr. Hamel Patel, uh, who is a professor at the University of California, San Diego. He's working with uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza to work on determining how uh, meditation improves health. And uh, if I had a couple of million dollars, he would be willing to replicate that very research uh, for us as well with the pyramids. So there are clear places where we could use the money and get true, valid scientific uh, you know, research done uh, to, to, to document those benefits. See, I'm thinking, and again, this has been my thought for many years, that getting people to give you money, most people who give money have strings. But if you create something that you sell on the open market and it embodies the very thing you're trying to raise money for, you know, there's yeah. a, the kind of a confluence of energies here. If you created the executive toy, is the executive toy the pyramid? Um, it's what, a couple of hundred bucks? It's, uh, yeah. You can set it up anywhere. Um, you can certainly, if you're a, a, a plant person, Robin was a plant person, you know, par excellence, um, you can do it in your garden. You can, in other words, you can, you can show real results that have a bottom line because you don't need as much fertilizer. You don't need as much water. You, in other words, there seems to me to be a, 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 a need to create something for the market that will propagate this knowledge uh, in, an, in an expansive way because there's nothing better than testimonials from people that use a product and damn it, it works. Oh, sure, sure. Well, we have plenty of testimonials on the website um, to that effect, whether it be health, uh, people who are um, uh, mediums, psychics, remote healers, you name it. They all are able to do their, their work better uh, when they're doing it inside the pyramids. So uh, we've done that. Um, but, yeah, the, you know, this book 
is to raise awareness. And I think you can hopefully appreciate this, Richard. I've got, I've got harmonics research. I've got other research that's in the back of the book that we haven't even begun to touch uh, on tonight uh, that documents why this geometry works so well. So, you know, that's probably for another day. But I would also love to find someone who is uh, experts in fields such as uh, laminar flow and things like that that can 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 help me to to uh, you know incorporate this. I need somebody who understands wave uh, mechanics and wave coherence because I've developed a theory and and I've done the it's in the book that this geometry is the one that will optimize uh, wave coherence. In other words, if you if you have wave forms, uh, you have constructive and destructive interference. Well, this geometry, as it turns out, produces the optimal constructive interference, and that's what cause, makes for such a tremendous energy field. So there's a lot of stuff a, that we can do here. A number of people <clears throat> in this incredibly wired Teilhard de Chardin world have problems with Wi-Fi. I'm not mentioning any names tonight. What right. if you could develop, Charlie, a pyramid amplifier to put over your damn, you know, uh, the unit that sits in your house that, you know, transmits your Wi-Fi so that it reaches all parts of the house without having to have boosters and other electromagnetism? In other words, another executive toy. Yep, yep. Well, I uh, one thing that, I mean, I'll just kind of digress here. One of the things that we have been able to measure, albeit indirectly, through these kinds of dousing and, and uh, you know, Lecker antenna devices, is the fact that uh, we, we can remediate EMFs. And I think that the, when I get, that's why I need a mm. wave, wave harmonics person to, 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 to follow up on the research that I've got in the book. But uh, I believe that the key to health, the, uh, is, is uh, coherence. The Russians have done research with, again, with this very biowell system that we, we purchased. There's a manufacturer of, of pyramids in Russia that uh, used biowell to look at the coherence of the energy aura of a human being before and after being in the pyramid, and the coherence of their energy field increases dramatically. So there's lots to do. Um, Tonight is just really, a, hopefully, awakening people that the golden ratio in three dimensions has tremendous impacts on our world and on our well-being. Okay, let me ask this question, and it may be uncomfortable, and if you don't want to answer, you don't have to, obviously. But you used to hang out on a place in New York, which is the financial capital of the planet, called Wall Street. Yes. You must know a lot of people from those days. Those people are terrified of what's coming. They are really unhappy with where the world is going. It's not producing what it should. Can't you reach out to some of those people quietly and say, hey, Charlie, lend me 100000 or give me 100000 and I may be able to help change things. In other words, that direct personal contact with someone you've known, given that you've got results that are provable, there seems yeah, to yeah. me to be a line there that should be pursued at some level. Well, you're probably right. I have to tell you, Richard, since I left that world, I left it completely, and I have not stayed in touch with 
anyone that I worked with on Wall Street. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean I couldn't call them back up, but I, you know, I, I haven't pursued that. For one thing, most people on Wall Street are not going to be open-minded enough to even begin to believe this. How do you know that from the get-go? A lot of people, uh, just, a lot of people that I know that are very rigid, are suddenly having to change their minds because things are changing so radically in so many directions, and their their whole perception of what's normal has been so you know punched out of kilter that they're open to they're kind of desperate for solutions that will work. You might be right, and I I, I haven't I haven't pursued it at this point, but you know it's, it's certainly worth trying. Let me, let me give you one stunning example, and I'm going to talk about this tomorrow night at some length. Uh, uh, recently on a show, Joe Rogan and Elon Musk brought me up and spent a lot of the program talking about my work and my theories and my research and the book and all that stuff, and they poo-pooed it in this solar system, but they radically embraced it in any other solar system that. We might be looking at like with web, which is why this is going to come up tomorrow night. What if you were to your results on um, Musk's Twitter uh, Twitter account and get a lot of people interested in? I mean, if he's got the damn symbol and you can prove that, does he know more than anybody thinks he knows? Because frankly, he doesn't want to go there in public because it's not time yet. Ooh, very interesting idea. I mean, why, why not start at the top? Since this guy is one of the only ones that I know that if he continues to do what he's going to do, he really can save the planet. And we are out of time. Can you believe that three hours has gone by? I've got to say that Robin is still batting a thousand because her um, her prescience and her moving the teardrop in the pyramid uh, wound up totally convincing me that you should be on the show tonight and here we are so until tomorrow night we're going to try our web experiment i want to thank uh charlie zees and ron gerbron and uh tune in tomorrow night for something that i'm not quite sure what it's going to be like but it will be different until then third star on the left straight on till morning good night everyone And we are clear. All right. I love the cricket. <clears throat> ah, yeah, they're no, they're especially noisy tonight for some reason. Maybe it's because it's, there's very little traffic, so it's quiet otherwise. It could be temperature. Remember, their um, chirps are correlated with temperature. Okay, quick. What temperature is it? Right I now? have no That's idea. Either the water. I've never been able to figure that out either, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's very comfortable. I'm sitting on a trash can. Um, uh, sigh. Well, that's certainly a complex uh, nest of subjects. But um, Charlie, I really think you need to pursue Musk because it's obvious, regardless of all yeah, his what? public disinformation, which I think is designed to protect his core mission, um, the symbol on Tesla tells me 
He knows so much more. And who knows, if you don't ask, you never receive. That's true. That's true. I guess I have to set up a Twitter account. <laughs> <laughs> that might be useful. Which I've been hesitant to do for years. <laughs> well, now you have a reason. Well, I, I, I think he's going to end up owning it after all. So um, it's uh, the latest the latest on the Twitter situation with Musk and um, uh, what's it, Dorsey? What's it? It, or the, the board, anyway. Uh, yeah, he knew they were overvalued, and this was all an elaborate of course. scheme to make sure that it ended up in court where they couldn't hide the figures and they'd have to admit under, that Under oath, they have to tell the truth. Yeah, 20, so... If, and if 20% of their accounts are bots, then uh, it's where, which is about the right percentage, apparently, then uh, he, uh, the fair market price for it. And believe it or not, in those kind of things, actually, there are over, uh, overarching forces that make sure that the things are, are properly proportionate. Then uh, he'll get a much better deal and he'll still end up owning it. Uh, which is which is fine. I mean, well, I think it it's part of a larger strategy, and it has to do with being able to own something that can't be censored when the good stuff finally has to come out. So, Charlie, you might find a very yeah. receptive audience. It may not be directly from him. It may be through three or four parties removed. But who knows what you could turn up if you show him what that tetrahedral symbol on the Tesla really means. Well, that's very possible. Let okay. me ask you, I you thought think? that Tesla symbol looked like Tesla in his jacket and tie. It's a design exercise. You know, the, the, the Wardenclyffe Tower is only one of the things that you could say it resembles. Mm-hmm. So All right, I have to go away. I'm going to let you guys talk among yourselves. Charlie, it's what, 3 a.m. your time? Yes. So yeah. you can probably go to bed. Um, say say good night, Jiminy. Yes, nice to meet you, sir. Uh, Very nice to meet you as well. Right, you need and you need to tie all of those diverse ideas together. You need a more unified strategy. All that stuff's interrelated. Remember, if if the hyperdimensional physics are all interrelated, then so are all of these uh, so are all of these threads, and it's those are the parts you have to look for. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, much more to do. You bet. In my opinion, in my opinion. Yeah, but it's not. No, no, yeah, no, 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 no. I agree. I agree. This was. Yeah. Just just finding all of these examples, you would not. And the research. And I, 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 I want to stress that. that those are, you an, two, are you an engineer uh, kind of guy? Is that, is that your I'm, orientation? I, I, I think math, but I, I didn't take any engineering. No. I was, a, okay. I was a biology major in college, but I was good, very good in math. Okay. Well, there's nothing more completely interactive across all boundaries and uh, parameters than biology. So, Okay, guys, I'm yeah. going away. Um, Keith, do okay. you need anything from me? No, I'm good. Okay, I'm going to send you through the night more stuff for tomorrow, and I'll call you tomorrow afternoon early, and we'll – tie up what we need to do for you to be away. Okay. Oh, Richard? Yeah? One question for you so I don't have to uh, necessarily call you later or when I go back in the cone of silence, I may not be able to. 
Uh, I'm having reception problems. Uh, That's why he uh, needs uh, the device, fairly. Charlie, so he can yeah. maintain Wi-Fi. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, um, no, I need Elon Musk to buy Verizon and fix them. Uh, but that's not going to happen. Uh, oh, you, what you posted, you know, I sent you, I sent you uh, the with and without pictures of the little tangle of twine. I didn't see that one. Get to. It didn't. It didn't pop up in my email. Maybe it went to oh, spam. Oh, that's the one I asked you about. Yeah, because I even put the date. No, 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 no. The only one I got was the was the two panel comparison close up. So, oh, okay, yeah. Well, that's that explains it. Well, it's uh, you should. Uh, it's in there somewhere if you want to. Well, the point is the um, uh, it's the earlier one of the two that uh, which was solved for ninety five ninety. No, no, the earlier one was solved for ninety. What do you mean the and earlier one? one? Uh, the one image I double checked in nine times from Friday. Uh, the one of them is one of them solved four ninety. The others solved. I don't know what you're talking about. The only image I saw it on was four ninety five. So you're saying right, it's present the earlier? Same, the exact no, the exact same frame without the tangle of yarn yeah. or whatever it is uh, appeared. Um, that's on the other one. There's two of them. I'm still not following you. Do it. Do do a TikTok, a timeline. When does the yarn first appear, and when does it disappear? Of the two pictures I have, it appears in the second picture. Number number Saul four ninety five. Exactly. It didn't. It was not there earlier. Four ninety. There's nothing there. Four ninety five. There is, but they had to go back four days later to find it. What do you mean they had to go back and find it? Well, it's five days. It's you know five Earth days later. The uh, what do you anyway. mean? They had to go back and no, no, no. Let's not gloss over this. Charlie, are you are you gone? No, I'm still oh. here. Oh, Kate, Kate no, and that, I are communicating right now. The point is that the two that the two frames are identical in every respect. You know, like I said, practically down to the pixel. As they, they should the be. If they I didn't, agree. if they didn't move the rover, these are fixed cameras under the deck. So why does the well, why why does the picture you showed two pictures tonight, which are also dated, and one of them is Sol four ninety eight? Is that a mistake? No, or that's the it, one after it blew away. So there's a third one. Well, I didn't know about the earlier one. I just know that I found it on ah, four ninety five, and it had disappeared okay, do, on four ninety eight. So you're saying it appeared. Between 490 and 498, and that those bookends, it's not there, and on 495 it is. Yes. Which only reinforces the case of major Martian winds, which, Charlie, are impossible, according yeah. to no, NASA. I like, the idea of, I like the idea of before and after. That's why I was... Well, I'm, can you I'm, fix that one up so I can use it tomorrow night? Because I'll obviously get into this deal. Yeah, with all three. Yeah, so that yeah let's do all, all three. three Make the souls big. The number, I didn't, look, people look at those numbers, they freak out. Their eyes glaze over. It's, it's an automatic, visceral, negative reaction to numbers. Charlie, yeah, that's so another way they've kept us down on the farm by making math and, and, you know, arithmetic impossibly complex for even ordinary people. Yeah. Yeah, that's why. That's why I know. That's why you were getting stressed last night. I was trying to tell you that I could 
simply had to put them differently. So the right on the bottom of each of the two that I did uh, is the date. But we don't need we color. don't we don't need all that numbers. You know why? Because our audience is not going to pay attention. Well, they don't get in the way of seeing what's on there that's important. It does for me. So if you're doing it for the show, please do it according to my specifications. Thank you. Yours were exactly the same. Yours were exactly the same. You have the image number there. That's all. The image number, and I just added down at the bottom, which is not in the way, the date, the actual calendar, Earth. I have to go away. All right. Charlie, thank you again so much. This was very – I'll find the third one. Thank you, you, Charlie. I mean, Robin right. really, really was right on. <laughs> okay. All Fun right. Show. Charlie. Bye bye. Hey, Charlie. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to send you uh, some links to the to the uh, Badlands Guardian and the um, the Utah stuff in Utah. I'm trying to. Put, uh, I don't want to hold you up because you probably. Well, gotta... no. Uh, you well. Is it easier to do it here? I, I don't mind staying up. Or can you send me email links? Sure. E, um, what's your email address? Uh, Charlie at StargatePyramids.com. Or, well, that's use hang, that. Yeah, hang on a second. Let me get my thing up here. So I'm just, I'm just downloading your, uh, your Morgan Curve article right now. Yeah. Okay, I'm going away, guys. Keith, we will talk tomorrow okay. afternoon. Be we watching for stuff coming in in your email. Charlie, thank you so much. All right. My and pleasure. I, and I will Thanks give your regards having... to Robin. <laughs> okay. All right. Amazing. Bye-bye. Good night. Oh, okay. I think I got you. What was that? Good. Mm.